think we could officially start. <laughs> After all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Russell, thank yes. you for doing this, brother. Yes, I, w- I was very excited to do this for a long time. I was waiting for this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful that you do the time. And I'm grateful for your time as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I mean, you said the elephant in the room, right? The elephant in the brain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah. the elephant in the brain. Yeah. Wait, what? I, I thought it, it's called the elephant in the room for some reason. So, the elephant in the brain refers to the elephant in the room or no? It, it's a play on words with right. that phrase, then that's the title of the book. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. before we dive into that, the sure. elephant in the room here is that you've... Uh, Probably in the last year, you kind of, I guess what you can call broke. Like you, you went a little, like you, you started doing bigger things, which is very exciting. And congratulations. Thank you. I'm Thank sure. You. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, one thing that is uh, one of your more uh, outstanding qualities that you're very humble. <laughs> you are. You, you don't like to talk too much about yourself and about what you do, especially when it doesn't really serve any real purpose. But... Uh, to the extent that it serves the podcast, and maybe talk just a little bit, yeah. if you don't mind talking a little bit about that, and then we can move on to w- way more uh, uh, subjects that yeah. would basically <laughs> twist our minds a little more. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, um, like you said, it, uh, in the last year or so, I've, I've experienced uh, some more success in my in my acting career. So, I, I was lucky enough to book a role on Tyler Perry's The Oval, and uh, it's a show that takes place in and around the White House, and I play the vice president. So it's a pretty good role to have in a show like that. And I'm um, very grateful, uh, tons of gratitude for having an opportunity like that. So I just enjoyed uh, that experience, and um, working with Tyler Perry has been just such a blessing and so amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool uh, experience, and the, the way that we produce the show is like, like nothing I've ever seen before, so it's it's awesome. Yeah. He he produces a lot. He produces what uh, a movie a day, right? Something so, like that. Yeah, yeah, like the amount of material that we're we're producing is about a movie's <laughs> it's worth about three hundred sixty-five yeah. <laughs> movies a year yeah. plus shows. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. No, he, he we do a lot out there, and he's got this amazing setup with like a full replica White House, which blew my mind the first time I saw it, and it definitely helps with the performance when you know you you're in the actual space that you're supposed to be in, you know, it, it definitely, do you ever get lost in that? Like completely, like you, for a moment, you like, believe you're vice president. I wouldn't say I believe I'm vice president, but I will say that like, there was one day where it kind of hit home when I was in the uh, dressing room, which is like on sort of on the other side of the, the grounds there. And they're like, um, they had me get ready and they're like, uh, can we take uh, Russell up to the white house? And I was like, ah, oh, wow, I didn't think I'd ever hear a sentence like that before. <laughs> you know, and you get in and you, you see that, like, on the exterior, it looks like the White House. You get dropped off, then you walk in, and the film crew is all there, and it's all the wires and camera and gear and all that stuff. So you're, you know you're doing a movie, but you look around, and it's like you go inside, and the sets are all usable. You can look in every direction. You know, like, uh, if you go to, like, an Old West uh, set, sometimes it's just the facade. Wait, so it's the whole White House? The whole White House. You go inside, there's oh, a Oh, I thought office. it was just, like, wings and yeah no like it's it that was that was my thought like a like a wild west set where you see the facade and that's when they walk down and then the outside and then for all the interiors uh, sometimes they're shooting at studios and sound stages right this is interior outterior you can go from outside to inside and you're in the white house there's staircases you go downstairs there's all the offices and the press room it's the whole deal and so that definitely has a different 
effect, you know, when it comes to performances and, and getting in there. So it's, it's, it's a trip. I guess it makes perfect sense because if you do lengthy scenes in which people are walking from one wing to the other or from one room to the other, you're not going to start build, rebuilding a whole new right. set all the time. That right. would actually make no sense. Yeah. And also just, you know, for different sets, you just move the camera down the way and that's a new office and it's appropriate for the thing. So you're just moving along and shooting in the different locations. You don't have to, you know, pack everything up and go across town to a different set. So it's, it makes it very efficient and and um, it's it's fun. Yeah. So I'm actually I'm ashamed to say it was, I, I just don't watch anything, which is a big fault when you're <laughs> in the industry to any extent. But what is, what exactly is this show about? Like what what is going on in the White House that is the main uh, focus of the show? It's 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 about the sort of power struggles that go on behind the scenes. So for example, I don't think I'm spoiling too much to say that the uh, the president in this world is not the the best of people. And he's a bit of a tyrant. And uh, so everyone's kind of vying to sort of take his job. And so as the vice president, you know, that's also part of my motivation is trying to find a way to get him out of office. And of course, that would be beneficial for me. So, you know, there's there's all these kind of things. And then, you know, there's relationships between different people and there's, you know, some cheating going on and some of that stuff. So it's it, there's a lot of fun things going on. So if the, in the House of Cards, the the, the angle was that the yeah. president was a psychopath yeah. or, the you know, the whip was a psychopath. Yeah. Uh, which turned out to be not far from the truth, but, <laughs> but uh, what what is the angle here? Like, what's the what is the tone that the show takes? It's 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 in that same vein, but I would say even more so. More oh really? More like conflict. took it to the more extreme? Yeah, more oh, really? conflict, more more drama, more sex things going on. It's it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now I might actually watch that one show. I <laughs> know. <laughs> seriously, I'm actually excited about it now. Yeah. Um, so. Let, now we got that off our shoulders. We yeah. can we can ask the the question about the book because you mentioned a book right before we entered. Sure. Uh, the elephant in the brain. Yeah. What is the book about? So this one, um, I'm still getting through it, so I haven't I haven't finished it quite yet. So I can't tell you. You know, no no spoilers on this. Everybody one, but, dies at the end. Yeah, <laughs> everyone dies at the end. All the elephants. Um, so it it's basically looking at the way that. I'll put it this way. I'll steal the metaphor that they use that, that really hit home with me. And, and that is that a lot of times when we're dealing with consciousness and the way that we imagine we control ourselves, we, we conduct ourselves, that we feel like we are the captains or the president in this world, right? And what they're kind of looking at is is changing that idea from us being in control consciously to what we think of as our consciousness and in control is really what they use in this metaphor is the press secretary. And so what happens is that we think we're in control of our behavior and we rationalize that through our consciousness, but what they sort of suggest happens and, and which I find compelling is that really what happens is that we behave in a way and then our consciousness is always catching up and, and sort of justifying it in the way that a press secretary would say, well, this is what makes sense in a way that is socially acceptable. And so what we're constantly doing is rehearsing the way we, we, that we would describe our behavior to somebody else in a way that they would find acceptable and maybe in a way that isn't as selfish as we might actually be truly motivated or on, on some level, maybe it's like that's a true motivation, but also maybe just an additional motivation. There's, you know, always sort of multiple motivations going on and our consciousness just kind of gravitates toward one sort of through thread 
and we kind of just let the other motivations fall off to the side, but it doesn't mean that they weren't also active in our, in our. So essentially design. we occupy one tiny channel out of this entire machinery that right. is actually doing all the, all the actual choice making. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Do they go, who wrote the book? Do you remember? Oh, I'd have to look that up. I'm so bad at it. No, it's all good. I'll, I'll put a thing in the description probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, does the writer go as far as to kind of go into the nitty gritty of, uh, actual free will like sam harris does in in the book free will or do, do you know the premise that sam harris makes basically essentially in I, a nutshell i haven't come across that book yet but um they they do get into some of that but it's because i feel like free will is is more like a philosophical thing and what they're talking about is is more like discrete behavior things so like for example they'll go through like the the use of laughter the use of language the use of art you know like more more granular, I would say, than sort of like the broad idea of what free will is. Hmm. So actually, yeah, no, I, I would say that, uh, well, at least in in the way that Sam Harris made the case, it's more, and obviously the, the idea doesn't originate with him, but the, the it's actually more, like it's less general, it's more specific. So like all those things you describe, yep. they're a product of a choice that was made, right. that we call, like, I, like we don't think of it as a choice, but like, you can say I made the choice to laugh this way, even right. even if it's a little involuntary or whatever it is. Right. But he goes as far as to say is that everything is this way. Yeah. So there's the difference between voluntary and involuntary action, only in the sense that you have a story that matches you wanting to do this thing in your own head versus right. a thing that just occurred that seems to be out of the out of the gestalt of things that you were trying to appropriate in that moment, basically. Right. Right. So that so that would be the thing. The reason I'm so interested in that is because I've uh you, you know i've no, i'm noticing more and more over the years that it's actually pretty easy to see if you if you really pay attention to how you do things uh which is that all the decisions that you make throughout the day they have this property and in fact that moment of making a choice that actual moment that nobody really pays attention to seems to be outside of everything that we want to deem as physical mm -hmm. so it's almost like not to not to reallocate it to some metaphysical realm of something you know like something woo woo but yes, just in the sense woo -woo. that <laughs> it, there's no physical component even there's there's not even a as far as your personal experience is concerned there's not even a component of recognition of any kind that it can e even potentially arise. Yeah. So, okay, so specifically, I always give this example of, like, if you want to go to the store or you want to go to the gym, right? You have 30 minutes to decide. You go back and forth in your head. You have all those, like, reasons, right? You come right. up with a back and forth. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's, oh, five minutes. Okay, I have to make a choice. Right. And then something happens where all of a sudden, you know that now you're either going to go to the store yep. or you're going to go to the gym. Yep. But So what happened in that fork in the road, right? If you really pay close attention, it's equivalent to falling asleep and waking up really fast. Because when you fall asleep, you never remember falling asleep. You just right. remember waking up. Right. So you wake up, you never remember falling asleep for like a nanosecond. Yep. And in this new reality that you woke up into, all of a sudden you're either going to the gym or you're going to the store. And obviously you can split again, but in that moment you're convinced that that's the action that is about to take place. Yeah. But that moment, not only that you didn't make it, I would go as far as to say that even your subconscious didn't make it. Yeah. There's this thing that it seems to be eluding reality Deeper. itself. It's like it's like it's the it's the hole in the donut through reality itself. It's like and the ultimate choice would be why did reality choose to be and not not to be, right? Yeah. It's like like why did reality all of a sudden spark to like the yeah. thing? 
And but what I wonder is that all those books, they're fascinating because you didn't finish it yet. Because I guess you can't tell me the the ending of it. Yeah, but yeah. do they take the more like pragmatic? kind of like outlook at it like they're trying to like what are they trying to say at the end of it just right. like okay here's the situation what's the takeaway that they're trying to so i th i think the difference in their approach is that they're trying to find ways and and why i i kind of separate it from the idea of, of free will because free will seems like a more of a, a a global look at decision making this they're they're trying to find ways to sort of dissect and getting into smaller sections of it so they're getting at the same thing and i feel like there's a lot of overlap between the two ideas it's just how do you how do you strip those down into smaller pieces that you can kind of uh, consume a little bit easier uh, one of the things that they were talking about were people that have uh in the in, in the in the brain, there's the the left brain, the right brain. There's a the part that corpus callosum. Yeah, the yeah. corpus callosumectomy. I think is the the term. oh when you separate the brain, when right? You separate when the brain, right? And for so, seizures, they do it, right, or something like that. Yeah, for yeah. seizures or or different uh, conditions. Yeah, right. and so uh, those are good ways to kind of attack this to where you can see that the 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 way that the consciousness sort of backfills and and creates a justification for a decision making like you what you were talking about where the decision comes out of nowhere where you can talk to the different lobes of the brain separately and if you are talking to the left side of the body which is processed by the right side of the brain and get it to do something and then you ask them to tell you why the the uh the language production comes out of the left side of the brain. So there's no communication between the two, but the left side of the brain will still come up with a reason for why they, they yeah, did action. It, it's the reason coming out. Yeah, like, exactly. I always actually remember which one is doing what, but, I, but I've heard this right. before. That basically one of them can't speak in words. Right. It can only speak in symbols, yeah. right? So that there's only like, a, it understands a like symbolic representation. It understands much better. Right. But like actual spoken language, for example... I think I hope I'm getting this right, but see, we don't have a we don't yeah. have a Jamie here. We have we have a, we have a legal expert. Yeah. <laughs> you have any experience in neuroscience as well? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. No. Good. You do. So uh, what are we saying is uh, spot on or yeah. <laughs> judges? <laughs> well, sometimes the left and right side. It depends. It's uh, you're generalizing because sometimes people are the left and right side switch. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes. Um, Wait. Sometimes they switch in their task. Like the the task actually switch. Um, Left-handed. Some people, like generally speaking, you're correct. But yeah, my, my degree at UCLA was a uh, biopsychology. Oh, that is amazing. We're gonna have a, we have one more one more domain. Get another microphone. Uh, yes. Uh, we, we, we should we should we should probably actually do that for another yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would actually be exciting. Um, so, like the the example they gave in the book was uh, like the title of this little section was "I wanted to get a Coke," and the story was that they they had one of these subjects go up to get something and it was their right brain that that they knew that they had given the information to to go up and do the thing like when they asked the person well why'd you go up and do this knowing that only the right side of the brain had the information for why they went up and did it the left side wouldn't know that but the left side is generating the language so if they're going to answer the question they have to do it through language and so the person said well i wanted to get a coke there's like a piece of the story that I'm missing that would, that would put all together, like what was the actual thing they were going to do. But the idea was that even though the brain didn't know why it was doing it, it instinctively and very quickly answered. And so this was, this was sort of what gave them insight into the idea of 
how our consciousness and, and what we feel is like ourselves and our, our free will and what we're deciding to do is kind of just a little bit behind all the time. And it's always a confabulation of some sort. Exactly. It's always yeah. like a, they also did this uh, experiment with the black on black. Did you ever see this? Huh. So they basically let uh, people of the opposite sex to pick up like a person from two cards. Yeah. And so women pick guys and guys pick women. And uh, the, the people were on purpose kind of like, uh, they weren't too attractive and they weren't too ugly, basically. So just kind of like somewhere in the middle. Yep. Uh, and then um, they would show you both cards. And then let's say you would pick this girl and they would put it down and give you this girl, right? But they used like a very cheap uh, magician's trick called black on black where the card was basically behind it was the opposite card. Mm. So they would give you the opposite choice. Yep. And then they would ask you to explain why you chose that. But you're looking at the opposite face. Right. Without like ninety nine percent of people, I don't actually don't remember the percentage, so I'm probably bullshit. But it was a very high percentage yeah. of people that just started coming out with an answer. Justifying, There's yeah. not actual like yeah. recognition that what you because dealing with the fact that you were wrong seems to be way more painful and way more costly to the brain yeah. than. Then actually pausing and saying, "Wait a second, that's not what I chose." So yeah, that, yeah. that it's just like there's no point of doing that, essentially. Yeah. Which, by the way, probably casts a pretty uh, serious light on everything we do in the social media sphere and uh, in politics and everything else. It's like it's just a bunch of kids running around just arguing with each other about a thing that they they didn't actually decide. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. literally what's going on. Yeah. Which, by the way, you you are actually somebody who before. I've noticed that now that you got on a couple of big shows, you, you you started posting. You weren't posting anything on social media, like barely, like once every two years you would see a post. Yeah. Is this something they made you do? Is this something no, no, that... no, it wasn't. If, if anybody made me do it, I would say my my wife was like, you need to get on Instagram. You need to start posting stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'll start. She's I'll not start. wrong, but She's yeah, wrong, but, yeah. But it is, it is a pain for me. Every time I have to post uh, uh, an episode, yeah. as much as I love doing this and I love posting... The act of posting itself, ask Kelsey, like yeah. it destroys me. <laughs> that day, I'm a wreck. Yeah. Like seriously, I'm, I yeah. can't. Like, I, I I forget things all the time. I'm like, I, I get anxious. It's like it's just the fact that I'm on it. Yeah, I'm not throwing dirt. Like, listen, social media is great for certain things, but the, I, it's just a fact that the days that I have to post drive me up the wall. Like, I can't. Like, it's you know, it's all the hashtags and making sure that everybody's doing the thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's a yeah, Elon. Hurry up with uh, Neuralink. Need to be able to do work and do that at the same time. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I, I want to know actually what the conclusion of the book is when when you finish reading it. Because I want to. I want to see if they're saying. So you know, maybe don't be so hard on yourself or whatever. I don't know. Usually there's like some kind of a a bow that sure. they tie around it, and I, I wonder what it is for this particular case. Yeah, we'll, we'll do another podcast. About yeah, yeah, that yeah. Later, yeah. <laughs> and and we definitely because I actually I I made such an effort to make sure that the sound sounds good because I realize how much it actually um, matters. Yeah. But I'm serious. Like we should do another one, and I will make sure we have another mic, and you should definitely join us, Daniel, because I think it will be yeah. a fascinating conversation about yeah. certain subjects. I'm going to be educated here. The one thing we, we, we went back and forth just a tiny bit, like when we were talking about doing the podcast, yeah. um, was something you mentioned. So this is going to be out of left field, but it was just interesting to me. So we'll Segway. talk about it. <laughs> just a complete break from the subject. Um, you said that I posted something about uh, Jordan Peterson saying something about Elon Musk, remember? And then you said that sometimes your spidey senses kind of tingle a little bit around Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like a, like a whole, you know, explanation here of like the exact what. But I wanted to explore that a little bit because sure. I think 
it's super interesting to see like what a different version certain people see of different people mm -hmm. then in our case it might actually not be that different but it, it does it does the gamut is pretty wide so right. like you know some people literally look at the same person and just see something completely different right? Right, right but at the end even though there is a very probably like a there's like a wave function in the middle where it's just like an array of possibilities even of that person right. but there's still some truth to the matter right there's a, yeah. some certain people leaning more towards being constructive and helping and other people leaning a little bit more towards being destructive and and then goes all the way to the edges of you know as as far as we can possibly imagine yeah. what do you specifically see that made you say that that like the 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 spidey sense part yeah, of it yeah well uh, I'll, I'll put it this way I, i've gotten into a handful of uh exchanges with people online so you know take it with a grain of salt, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll make a critique of something of, of, of lots of different things that are on there, but specifically for Jordan Peterson, people get very emotional about him. Oh, people around him, not him specifically, but people right. who follow him. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so, um, I, I got accused once of hating Jordan Peterson and I'm like, no, no, I, I'm not a fan of Jordan Peterson, but I'm also not a detractor of Jordan Peterson. I don't really have a lot of exposure to him. Uh, I, I'll come across a quote and I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And I'll, oh, it's Jordan Peterson. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Like, easy. Move on. Uh, come across something. I'm like, oh, there's something there. And it's not because it was Jordan Peterson. It was just, oh, oh, that was also from Jordan Peterson. I find that when he speaks, he's he has a passion to him that I think is very attractive. And I think that's what a lot of people respond to. And and I'm, I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing at all. I, I think that, that is also interesting for me. Um, and he's also very eloquent and intelligent and so when there's something that is kind of off about a statement that he makes that gets you know promulgated throughout the internet because people really connect to it um that makes me a little bit just a little nervous i'm like well wait a minute there's there there might be a different way to to phrase this and if i was in the room with him i say well you know maybe you could say it like this or like that like which one do you think would be better um, I, I'm trying to remember specifically which quote you were. Oh, to, I think was, I think no, no. I think you mentioned it because the quote that I posted was just about Elon. He was just saying things about Elon. But the right. quote that you said, I believe it was, uh, sometimes you have to be a monster or a yeah, demon okay. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I've heard it from him specifically, but then you hear a lot of people requoting it. Um, I believe Joe Rogan requoted it. It was, you should be a monster. Like the world's telling, paraphrasing, uh, the world's telling you, you should be meek. You should be a pacifist. You shouldn't do anything. You should be a monster and then learn, learn to control it. And while I understand what he's getting at, and I understand the idea of like developing the self and becoming the best version of yourself and the strongest version of yourself. And if you're strong, you can do good with that strength. You can do bad with that strength. And you can use monster kind of like the way we use it in, you know, football. And it's like, Oh dude, that guy's like a monster. He's a beast. Right. The, the reason why that kind of catches me is not because I disagree with the ultimate outcome. I think there's like an order thing, right? So if you say you should be a monster and then learn to control it, that makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, well, no, you kind of have to at least learn both at the same time. But really for me, it's you learn the discipline first and it's through that discipline that you build the strength, right? So for example, this is 
one of my favorite movie quotes, a tiny little quote in this great movie called Braveheart. And uh, Uncle Argo, this is in the beginning of the movie, Uncle Argo comes up to the, to the young kid who's just lost his family, and he's looking at the sword, and he goes, first, oh, I'm going to do my terrible Scottish accent, first learn to use this, and he's pointing at his head. Then I'll teach it to use this and the sword, right? And so like, the idea was like, you, have to, you have to have the ability to be responsible for the strength that you want to have ahead of time. And so either way, you get to the end, and you have this strength under i think voluntary control is is the phrase that jordan peterson uses right you have either way you get to the end it's just there's this section where like you get the strength before you know how to control it that, mm -hmm. that's where you get into this dangerous territory and what worries me is that people that would fall into doing something bad in that spot are the people that might stop listening at you should be a monster Mm. so they just it's, it's the convenient portion to do right and so now it's like okay i'm gonna be a monster but they never quite get to that other part of learn to control it right i see and so it has less to do with the fact that he said it and more to do with the way the audience who are already sort of passionately connect passionately connected to him might respond to it so mm. it, it's it's a weird critique and that's why i said i was no that, to that's say, a valid critique and I, yeah. and I and i hear you fully so you're yeah. essentially saying that because there's a certain way even though that the idea is saying is very nuanced some people don't necessarily play the nuanced game and they just want to adopt whatever it suits them best and hey the, this statement actually came in the beginning of the sentence right why not just go with that and then when i feel drunk on power why not just stay there right right, right. So I think that the, if I'm not mistaken, because I, I don't know if it was in which book it was that he expli explicitly said that, probably in most of them, but I think he's borrowing from uh, Carl Jung, uh, the idea of the shadow. Mm -hmm. And the difference there is that it's not that you need to learn to be a monster, is that you need to recognize you already are one mm -hmm. from the second that you're born. Mm -hmm. So now... That's, you know, can also be debatable. I would say that the way that I'm reading that quote is that he's alluding to the fact that a lot of people don't recognize what atrocities they would have been capable of if they would be placed in the right position, the right place, in the right time. Right. And because of that, they externalize it towards the other. Yep. And that's essentially taken to the extreme. Let's say we have Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. where you fully externalize the internal shadow and then you overlay it on something else. Right. But I fully hear you that maybe in the world that we live in today, there might be better formulations of language that would get at a more subtle recognition of that truth that don't involve such a radical statement in the beginning. It's, it's almost not even about the statement at that point or like where I'm coming at. Well, it. just in it's the sense that like, a lot of people might misunderstand it. Right. So like you, there's a better, there's a, there's a way to taper it off a little bit without the, without the extreme of the words monster. Right. 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 And I get, I get picky. It's not, the, I don't think you're triggered by the word monster. I, <laughs> no, no, I understand no, no. what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah. 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 And there's another one where he says, um, uh, a good man is not a harmless man. Uh, a good man. This is where the voluntary control part, a good man is, uh, the paraphrasing. I think I think it's a, a good man is one who's it can very, be very like can do a lot of damage but doesn't right, right? something he, like that. So yeah. the way you put it, you've already added more nuance to it because you right. said it can be dangerous. He says a good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. And I like that's another one where I, it's like a slight tweak because I get what mm, you're saying. Yeah. But also it's like well 
let's, you have to kind of define what it means to be a good man at that point. And where I, where I kind of separate a little bit from that is that, that, that to me sounds more like a civil man, right? Like mm. you, you aren't harmless. You can do a lot of harm, but you don't do the harm. That makes you civil. That means you can, you know, be around other people not doing harm and everyone's safe, right? Yeah. Whereas I feel like the idea of being a good man is like actually doing something good, like positive, right? So if you go to the grocery store and you come home and you didn't beat up a whole bunch of people, under that cate- under this categorization, that's that's a good man. You you've done good. And I was like, well, no, that's that's just civil. Like if you go and you give like a piece of fruit to the homeless guy that's outside, then that's like a, a good man, right? And so so it's wh- net, but like it's it's proactive, right? There's exactly. like a yeah, there's like a, a, an extension of of your condition outwards towards the world versus just capping whatever can hurt the world basically right, right. Yeah. and so the reason why i, I make that distinction because not having to say it's an argument with jordan peterson but like if you if you were then to look at the audience and someone says well you know i can i can do all this harm to people and i'm not so that that makes me a good person yeah that's you know, I'll accept that. So it's like a very small thing that you're getting at, but what you can kind of twist it into say that like me making myself more dangerous is what qualifies me to being a good person instead of like doing the good thing or not hurting someone. It's like, there's like a weird, but but then, but then his point just to push back just a little bit, the, the flip side of that is that I think, and this is, I mean, obviously, I don't have a way to know, but it seems to me that, that Jordan is getting to it like that specifically right. is because if you do the good things out of a place of just you want to be liked or because you want to shake off any any notion of you being capable of something bad or being a monster, then all the good you're doing still leads you to a very weak place because you're doing it to not for the right reasons, essentially. So if you got so now that no 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 but but I think but I think it does matter in the evolution of what a mind goes through right. when the, then the mind defines itself. So for example, specifically with Jordan, which I think might actually explain also a little bit why his statements are sometimes seem to be so radical, and also his delivery. Sure, I think that. So I, I actually I think that the the, the making the like uh, like putting Sam Harris and, and Jordan Peterson like side by side might actually be very uh, informative here. I think that, I don't know if you know this, but not, but Jordan is a is a is a really tortured person, like both psychologically and physically. He has a lot of like health issues, very severe ones. I, I get that sense listening to him, but I'm not aware of. Yeah, so he, he has like very serious health conditions, yep. and his family and his wife was like basically had I think it was cancer or like he, she was on the threat of death for quite a while, and wow. he got like really depressed, and he actually had to go to rehab for the pills he was taking, and. But that was going on his whole life. So he has this autoimmune that prevents him from being able to do a lot of things. And sometimes it would be as bad as he wouldn't be able to even leave bed by 5 p.m. And he still has to do all the responsibility of an intellectual and a professor and all of that. And he did that, right? So there's a certain certain, uh, charge you get in the little time you have in a day. And also probably the, the constant impinging reminder painful reminder of your actual condition you know like dr house right yeah. it's a show but i think it, it really illustrates the situation here it's like he's an asshole because he's in pain constantly right, right right 
So now eventually he becomes that asshole, but it comes... Now, this is not to say uh, that way or the other to justify or not justify his claims. It just makes perfect sense to me that a person that has to deal with that on a regular basis would have both a delivery and also the ideas that he's going to play with are going to be way more radical because he is He feels a time radical. pressure. He, right. Not yep. just that. He also he just physically feels the intense suffering that life can can bring upon you. Right. And I think that people like us, there are, I'm sure that, you know, we, we go through our suffering, but, I, you know, I had a chronic condition for a while and then I didn't have it. So in the time that I didn't have it, I had a very different appreciation for what it must be like to live like this your whole life. Right. Like literally it robs you of everything, of a good mood. Everything is an up, uh, uphill battle. Yeah. Everything. So I think that's how I see it. And the reason I'm comparing it to like Sam Harris, for example, is because you can see that everything about him, like his delivery, demeanor, language, it can be very feisty sometimes. But even that is always kind of couched in this like attitude that is much more uh, measured. And, Restrained. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. There's not, look at how often Jordan tears up. Yeah. Like, you know, even on television. This is not an act. I mean, to the extent that I can, you know, read him. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that, that's how I see those statements. But I actually, I, I take your point fully. Like even then, especially because he has such a vast experience w- as a, as a clinical psycho- psychologist, to the extent that he can, he he can. I I feel like he can choose to use a more. He, like you said, he's very eloquent, very smart, yeah. uh, very knowledgeable. Right. So he has the choice to potentially also maybe change the the rhetoric slightly in the ways that you're suggesting. And I, I don't necessarily disagree it, with that. It, I just, it, yeah. And again, it has less to do with Jordan Peterson himself and anything that he's saying. It's more the way that I, like, I, I just imagine somebody hearing that and taking it one way and a different person hearing that and taking a totally different message, right? So, But that's a slippery slope. That is. It, yeah, if you're going to start like playing the game of like how people take it, that's already like, you know, that, that's very but, difficult. But yeah. that's also the job if you're a public figure is... That is true. ...is to be able to package your ideas in a way that makes it harder and, and make it more likely that people take these ideas the way that you're, you're wishing to package them. I right? agree with that. So like yeah. the idea of like... Uh, a good man is a very dangerous man, right? Well, what does that mean to be a very dangerous man? Let's let's look into that, right? It, it, are you a very dangerous man if you can, you know, bench three hundred pounds and? No, he means hurt other people, if or 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 like lash out in a way that would show people like that you can't just mess with that person. I think it's more along those lines. Sure. Right? So that's you're a very dangerous man if you are intellectually uh, armed, right? That that's one way to look at it, right? You can you can look at it a whole bunch of different ways. But you could you could look at it a way where it's like, well, I'm a dangerous man because I'm gonna go buy you know a thousand pounds of fertilizer, and somehow that that and again, so that's it's not necessarily fair because that already is a, a troubled individual, you know. But they can hear that, and that can be the maybe they seed just that, like to roll around in. Yeah, yeah it could be, yeah, it could sorry. be, uh, you know, and and it could it could tilt them to go in a different way, and it's coming from somebody that is held in such high regard. And you could see that being twisted. And so that's, those are like edge cases that make it difficult to really like uh, uh, settle in on the, uh, on, on the critique of, of what I'm trying to get at. But like if you just, if you just twist it a little, you know, deliver it a little bit differently, I think it makes it harder for that, that distortion to take place. And that's – yeah. and, and uh, like most of the time when I hear stuff that Jordan Peterson says, I'm like, yeah, that, that, that drives me. I'm, I'm with that. So it's not like it's a – it's – it's kind of like when you go and see a good movie 
the things you talk about afterwards are like the, the, the two scenes that didn't work for you. You know, even though there's 40 scenes that were awesome, the two scenes that didn't work for you, that's the thing that ends up, you know, so sometimes yeah, yeah, no, the thing that you critique is what you end up talking absolutely, more but about. I, but, but, I think, but I think it's absolutely valid. Yep, I think yep. it's a valid like way of looking at it. I just, I just sorry, go ahead. No, but I, I, was, I was smiling earlier when you were saying doing the right thing, this is like five minutes ago, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. That's a huge part of the elephant in the brain uh, book where they were talking about the motivations for, for philanthropy and really ultimately what it could boil down to is that we just want to show off our status. And so this is why we do these good things and like everything that we kind of do is for these selfish motives yeah. one way or another, whether those are overlapping with overall kind of good social deeds or not so good social deeds, which is where people are less comfortable with that kind of selfishness. But like ultimately this is a huge part of our, you know, deep, deep motivations that we don't always. Talk yeah, about because we often. always, it's always how we appear, basically. Right. It's interesting because in the, did you ever see this interview that, uh, I always forget his name, the owner of TED, TED Talks. So he interviewed Elon a couple mm-hmm. of times. It was like this one that he did on stage and one that he did at the Gigafactory. And in it, Elon, which I'm sure he said it in other places, but it just happens to be the last one I saw him say that. He said, when asked, um, why don't you actively don't contribute more like to like like straight up philanthropy like why don't you contribute more to like charity and things like that he's like it's very difficult to find a charity that actually does something that is productive don't confuse the appearance of uh uh, philanthropy and real philanthropy he said spacex and tesla are the most philanthropic companies in the world because of what they're actually trying to bring to the world now you know, you can debate the, the truth of those claims, whatever you want. But sure. that I, I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that a lot of those organizations, they are there to make us feel better about because we don't know what to do. Right. So they give us an outlet to at least feel like we can sleep, you know, soundly at night. Basically, yeah. that's yeah. the effective altruism is the yes, yeah. that, that would be yeah. the exact. Yes, that, yeah. that would be the exact term. Yeah. I think there's a guy that uh, created a whole organization do you know what I'm talking about? I, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name. Also yeah. Head, so he basically, like, he was very young when he started it, too. Right. right. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's, that, the only thing I would say is that now, the more I'm kind of talking t- with you through this thing, the more I realize that I think that uh, maybe some of the reasons that he's also, uh, he was radicalized was how this particular journey started for him as this super known public intellectual. Because he was, you know, just a professor, and that whole thing with the pronouns that happened originally. Back to George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think uh, I think that might have been because I think he believes. I think he really believes. And you know what? I actually, I'm not even sure that you disagree with that. I think he believes that this whole little phenomena of you know the the snowflakes and the safe spaces started there. And the pronouns and the like everything that's going on, including things that a lot of us are actually supporting, but we don't think about it like that. But a lot of that is the same phenomena. It's a phenomena that tries to just push out rationale mm-hmm. and public discourse and conversation and hijack with an emotional monster that will have it, it seems to me that that's what he believes. It might actually if there will be an end to our civilization, it would start there. And I think that because he feels that the the the, the that's the end game yeah. and those are the stakes, yeah. 
it might be why he doesn't take prisoners. Little, right, a little yeah. bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a little bit more to, like yeah. it's. He wants to show that the force with which he's responding is merited. Yeah. And if ever asked about that, then he would kind of like extrapolate as to why. Sure. But anyways, I think we talked about Jordan <laughs> enough. Uh, we, this is, but, but I mean, look, we feel that, right? We feel that. Uh, you feel that in in especially in LA. Like in Hollywood, you feel that a lot. People are very, very sensitive and very careful with each other's emotions. And like, this is the place where you really feel this, uh, both the good that that care for other people can bring, but also the perversion that it can bring. Mm -hmm. Where like all those ideas that have no connection to the real world all of a sudden take shape and become movements. And then they, it starts something that actually creates damage only because people don't want to look at what, the actual information is right sure and then it makes it difficult for both sides to make any kind of I, i think everything that happened with trump like was a perfect example of that it's like i don't think trump i personally don't think trump could have been elected if there wouldn't be this like crazy um phenomenon on the left where where half of the country would feel like it's you know completely marginalized now i happen to be on the left i happen to be like you know liberal through and through yeah. but i can totally see how You can't just tell people they're idiots all the time, you know what I mean that's like that's like there's there's i mean there's a couple there are so many facets into how we got into a situation with the president Trump. you know a big chunk of it is that you can see that for the most part, you could say that the sort of mainstream mainstream media, whatever we want to refer to with, with that kind of phrase. Uh, tends to be more liberal, right? And so they didn't take him seriously. And so because of that, they, he could sneak in in a way that, you know, maybe a, a more seasoned uh, politician with a more, you know, broad track record couldn't get away with some of these things. And no one took him seriously until it was, he already had enough momentum that uh, there was no stopping him at that point. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of ground. No, I, I, I'm not, that. for me, it's not even like, I, I'm actually not big on politics in general. So for me, I'm definitely not trying to slide into like a political conversation. Mm. It's more representation for me of how people feel, mm. right? So it's like uh, like the political decisions that are made are v like a super not interesting to me. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I know, which I'm sure now that you're on that show, you're probably yeah. like, it's, it's like, it's all about fucking, it's all about fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Other people, it's like in all kinds of ways. Uh, it's not really about like, How much of it do you believe is actually for the public good? Like, maybe, maybe, and again, uh, try and, like, look at it. Like, okay, try and hear my question, yep. not through a political lens. Gotcha. Purely from, like, how the people under that power feel. Like, you and I and, mm -hmm. and uh, people who are not on the coast, right? Because they, they, they're different people. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, maybe I can think of maybe Bernie Sanders sure. that I can believe he's like, he really cares. How many other politicians you can point to them and say, Hey, I think they really care. It, it, it's a tough one because there's, there's a couple different things I think going on and, and I'll, I'll break it down into three categories. There's governance, which is what the government actually does, right? Those social security checks. Those are, you know, actual laws in the books that are being enforced, stuff like that. There's politics, which is the game that goes on between the politicians, right? And how they get around to making the rules. And then there's partisanship. And that's the theater. And that's the show that we all see. 
but, but before you go on, I don't want to yeah. interrupt, but this is super important. Yeah. But the partnership shouldn't be the theater, though. It should be the, 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 the two sides meeting and the grind is supposed to produce something for the, for the thing they're governing over, right? So I, ideally. But, but was it ever? Like, see, that's what I mean. Like, no, was it, yeah. I, I, I've, I don't know if that's ever been the case. No, I don't know if that's something you can get rid of, though. The, the partisan, the, the theater aspect of the, the kabuki nature of it. I, I feel like that's almost in a democracy necessary in order to give people something to connect to that they actually are interested in. But you don't feel that that's more American? Like, I feel like in other countries it's not as pronounced. Maybe it's it's more heightened here. The theater aspect. Right, right. Well, yeah. so, like, if you were to look at a different political structure, if it's... Well, I don't even know if you can well, take it Well, I, I don't so, know. Like, I'm again, I'm, I'm yeah. actually a big... Like, I'm, I'm not very educated on the subject. But let's say England, for example. Right. They have a different system, right? right. The, the parliament and, like... But they still have those collisions, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it's as theatrized, maybe because I'm, I'm following it even less, but it doesn't seem like they, they would lean in that. Like, Brits don't seem to care that much, like the people themselves. The, the populace, hard to say one way or another, and, and there's probably a spectrum that maybe we're, either of us aren't so yeah, familiar with because we're yeah, not yeah. there, right? But the, if you watch our... Senate versus their House of, of Commons, that's a rowdy bunch. I don't know if you've ever actually like sat and watched like the, what are they, I think they call it something about questions. Oh, I wish I knew the term right now. Basically, you can say whatever you want to the prime minister as long as it's in the form of a question. And you have so, a wig. Yeah, so you can straight like insult him and then just put a like in jeopardy form at the end and it's okay, right? See, that's awesome. Yeah, and so they, they're like yelling and like people are, are cheering along with something they agree with or yelling down something they don't agree with. So there's a, a more of a theatrical element actually in the room whereas we tend to have a much more subdued except for on you know certain occasions uh we have a much more subdued environment within but when they go outside they're lobbing mud at each other from their you know perspective corners and the the cable news that follows it that that peddles all that and that's what the people that are plugged into this world connect to is is that part of it right and so in a way it's that theater that connects people because nobody really watches c-span nobody really is like trying to get in like who who actually like downloads the pdf of you know uh the the new law that's that they're thinking about passing and like you know leafs through it no we're, we want to know about the fight so to some degree that's this is why I, I break it down this way is because that that partisanship which i i think you're probably with me on this that you're not really a fan of that and i i find it well, it just, it just seems so irrelevant to the actual issues. But there's, yeah. to, for a lot of people, that's, that's what they connect to, and that's what makes them feel connected to the government, either because they're with the party that's, that's not in power and they want to fight back, or because they're with the party and they want to see their priorities being enacted, right? But they don't really get into the... the the details so of how it. would we ever get out of that just educate the public more like in the long run the long long run i don't like, know that there i don't know that a that there is and b that there's necessarily a need because like you, you could say okay you you try a couple of different forms of governance you have the the older system where there's a king and the king whatever the king says that's that's what we do right but even in those systems because i was i was just thinking about this a second ago even in those systems there's some theater there right like you the king has a court 
and everybody comes to see the king, you know, ride up to the castle or whatever, you know, a thousand years ago. And, and there's, there is a performance aspect to being the king, right? There's, I think most of it is. Yeah. Like the crown is as much for the people as it is for the king. Cause in the end it can still be revolt. Yeah. Even though it will be way harder than, than it would be in a democracy, let's say. Exactly right. Actually, I'm not even sure anymore because you have the American army. Which is, I don't really think that, I mean, for all intention. I mean, actually, it's funny because we had this conversation, um, we're going to zigzag all over, it's going to be sure, great. Yeah. We had this conversation <laughs> the other night on, uh, wait, what's more inflammatory than politics? Weapons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, talk, we're talking about that, and I, I said, and I would love if you can combat this thought because I, I, can't, I can't see like a way out of that. It's yeah. like, I... I well okay so first of all I personally think that yes it, it should be way harder to get a weapon period right it needs to be like a thing like getting a pilot's license it yep. needs to be hard yep. you need to know what you're doing right but I don't first of all I don't think it can ever happen really because of the way that the American culture is structured so much around mm -hmm. this amendment mm -hmm. but also because I actually think that the idea to give the government some deterrence to think twice in certain situations Like, if you're thinking about the extreme, like Nazi Germany, if anything else would fail, right, it would be way harder to do if people are armed, right? But then what I said is like, but, I mean, how much difference does all the weapons that people own in America actually make in comparison to what the army can do? Right. It's like... If they want to take over, they'll take over. No, or like, am I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to f I'll find a way out here. Do you think that it's possible for like, let's say, like the craziest happens, right? Yeah. And the American government just wants to impose whatever martial law, like, and and it's something that nobody agrees with, and they go all in. Yeah. Do you think that people, even with automatic weapons in their homes, can do anything against? You know, the Navy SEALs or like, 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 uh, like any, any real, like, you know, special units in the army. Like it's, is that even a deterrent of any kind? Uh, no. 100%. So, so no, at this no, point, like, at this point it is like a king. Yeah. No, at, 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 unless you had <laughs> like some significant majority of Americans all on the same side. Kind of uh, like the civil war kind of thing. Right, but it, usually a civil war is a little bit more balanced between competing factions within. No, like a, a civil war between area. the people that organize and the American army. Let's right, say. it would it would yeah. have to be like a ground up revolt more than a civil war, just on like technical terms of like what a what's what, how do you make the distinction? Well, like, Sorry, like yeah, so the distinction between a civil war is like, for example, for the American Civil War, that was like on geographic grounds, right? So you know these states. Seceded, oh, I see what you're saying, and okay. it was this group of people versus that group of people on a map. Got it. Okay. Right? Uh, whereas a revolt is like the bottom up everywhere topples over the, the hierarchy, the power structure, right? And so right. at that point, it becomes numbers. Uh, in, in the scenarios that I think most, most people that are saying like I'm, I'm the, the, the give the motivation for ad adhering so strongly to the Second Amendment is that I want to be able to protect myself from tyranny. There's there's no weapon that you can kind of get uh, legally in this country, even though you can get a lot of weapons legally that you couldn't get in other countries. There's no weapon that can really stand up against, you know, uh, uh, any number of aircraft. <laughs> or tanks you, or, yeah. Or, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so the idea, because like I, I can relate to and, and connect to the idea of 
the heritage of overthrowing tyranny as the like American Revolutionary War. And as an American, you can kind of connect back to that time and, and think of George Washington and think of, you know, uh, uh, an American core of people believing in this idea that didn't even really exist yet and coming together to to throw off the yoke of of the tyranny of uh you know a distant ruler that you didn't really feel connected to anymore and that's a powerful ideal i think for a lot of americans right but then you you can't say that that ideal is still valid today for today you know what i mean so no that's I, what i'm saying yeah, yeah and so I, I i connect with that with that history of it, the tradition of it, but I can't justify it as a logistical reason behind still, uh, you know, uh, suggesting that that's your justification. For yeah, no, it. whenever I hear that argument, I'm like, even very rational people would make that argument. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right, right. They want to go in. They're right. going in. That, uh, that's the end of that. that yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, even though I, I, I tend to be a more liberal person like you, uh, I still, I, I have a hard time with the Second Amendment. I really do. I have a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth about this for various reasons. That's, that's one of them where, like, I have a hard time accepting a lot. I think what it is is that the justifications that people give for why they want to continue to have the Second Amendment, I don't necessarily think of those as the valid reasons. But it doesn't mean that I personally want to get rid of the Second Amendment, if that makes sense. I just have a, to me, it's, it, it's just a little bit more honest to say, well, like I, I don't own any weapons, but if I wanted to as an American and the ideal of freedom, like if I wanted to, I, I could. Right. Um, but then it's, it's funny to me because there are borders in this idea that people already accept, you know, like, I don't think there's a lot of people that, are on the the guns right side that would say, well, I should be able to get a bazooka or I should be able to get a tank. All right. You know, yeah. like, so it's, and, and then I'm also, sure some would, but yeah. <laughs> right. But like, a, you know, the majority of people that are on that side would say, well, no, these are the things that are off limits and these are the things that are okay. But if you actually like look at the text of the second amendment, it's just, it's, it's bare arms. So what do we, at some point, we have to decide what that means by arms. And No, but some of them are, like, very straight. Like, okay, so, for example, the simple statement that it should be it, it, the, the bar for whom is, like, the license portion of it, right? To say that bullets are expensive, I don't think that's not an argument. It's like, okay, great. That's good. However, if I'm giving you a weapon to carry with you whenever you want, no. I need to make sure as a government that you know what you're doing right to a much higher so like it, it, you have to get a license to drive a car right you, again planes way diff, more difficult so it's way more difficult to get a uh, pilot's uh, license, license yeah, yeah. right i wanted to say pilot's driver's yeah. license which would be great <laughs> um uh but but like to say like who would resist that i don't understand people who resist that. that that makes no sense to me like why would you resist having a harder time getting a weapon, just not in the sense of like the rigmarole you have to go through. It's right. just that you got to train, you got to go through a certain formal training of some sort, right? which right now is not the case, right? You can right. just kind of go and just... Depending on where you are, the rules are different, but in some places you can just go to the store and pick one up, right? Uh, I, I would say that there, I, if you're asking what these people feel versus 
what my opinion is, right? So I feel like these people feel that they're, they're the people that see the government as a possible uh, avenue for, for tyranny. And if that's your idea, then you don't want the government to administer the system. Mm. You don't want the you don't want the where the tyranny. You don't might want the guy who you think is the problem being the middleman between you, you and the thing that exactly. you might want to get exactly right. So that's that's I I can understand where that comes from. That's not saying that I agree with it, but I can at least uh, understand no, that. That actually more makes perfect than, sense. Like, I didn't think that of I'm that. Shoot down a jet, right? Um, but for me, what I kind of go back to the the text of the Second Amendment. Um, Oh, 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 you're the one who read it. Yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of people that are into this, like they, they actually can, can recite it, but there are a lot of people that can't say it. So let me see if I can, if I can say this. A, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Legal definition, is that right? He's on his phone. He didn't see that. No, no, no. I, I get this, but you guys are not tackling it the right way. Oh, give, give us an angle. <laughs> You guys are not seeing it realistically. You guys are choosing, if, if you want to convince the other side, you should see what their arguments are. That's what I was just talking about. No, but, but what you guys are doing, like you're, you're talking about Strawman. this overall federal government. You don't recognize that, that the states get to create their own gun right laws. Oh, really? It's very pretentious for someone in the city to tell someone in North Dakota what to do. The, the, the state of North Dakota should decide what their gun law should be than someone that's sitting in Los Angeles. Right. Which, Isn't that the case already? No. Well, yes, that's the case. But, but, but when people talk about gun rights, they make it overarching across the entire United that States. That is true. Additionally, you guys are talking about a government, Navy SEALs. Well, what about a small town whose sheriff goes on the rampage? What about a small, a small town that has 25 officers that are racist, and you're, you're a minority, and you want to protect yourself? Can that happen? It's not a Navy SEAL. It could be the police force that's going to try to knock down your arms. You're also talking about, when you talk about L.A. This County, is right, the people that want to own guns in L.A. County aren't the ones in Beverly Hills. They're the ones in South L.A. I don't, the I don't, getting shot at. I, I, I saw the biggest arsenal actually in Beverly Hills. Yeah, because, because over. No, this guy was from England. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fish, chips, and gun. It's, 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 it's just... Well, I'm, listen, I'm actually... Yeah. Seriously, I'm very excited about the podcast we're going to do yeah. together when I can actually mic you. Because yeah. <laughs> for viewers, this must be like a nightmare to yeah. try and hear you. But I'm, I'm, this is a very good point. I, I don't think that necessarily we, um, we were forgetting that. I, I guess I'm asking... Actually, no, I think you're right. I think that when people have this argument, especially so passionately... They should recognize that it's a very big country, and there's 50 states, and every state has their own uh, situation. Right. That that is very different than what you might be experiencing every day. Right. Yeah. Which which I I think is a good spot to start off with when you're having the conversation is is trying to understand where other people are coming from. Um, That's outrageous. Yeah, it's crazy. Stop that. <laughs> uh, so going back to the. It's not how we do things in this country, sir. Yeah. <laughs> the text of the Second Amendment, the the well regulated militia part, is the one that I, I, f I find compelling and is often glazed over. And I, I, I don't have an answer about it, but I'm really curious as to how people perceive that in in context of the debate over the Second Amendment. Oh, just like militias organize themselves. That's acceptable, right? Right, but. 
why put the well-regulated part in front of that? Oh, repeat the sentence again then? Uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free mm. state. Well, I think that, um, I guess, yeah. So, like, in the sense that they have some ties to an understanding of what the people they're protecting actually want? Well, or do they only act in their own, like, in their own right, basically? Which it seems that most militias are. Well, it what's what's clear to me is that this the sentence is, is so delicately constructed that there was a lot of thought put into why they put it that way, you know, and, and uh, uh, people have gone back and seen earlier drafts and seen different things that they tried to pass before it actually, you know, landed on this one way to phrase it, right? And so I think when it comes to a discussion, a, a broader discussion about the Second Amendment and not the sort of uh, smaller sort of regional discussions. And, the, the, and, the Instagram discussions. Exactly. Um, is, is that to me, what it, what it means is that while a lot of times in America, we like to talk about individual responsibility, what, I, what, what the words a well-regulated militia sort of bring up in me is this idea of collective responsibility. And we're not always so comfortable with that idea. And if you could, if you could have a way where rather than just any individual going to purchase guns, but like it, it almost had to be from within a group, not necessarily connected to the federal government or something like that, but almost like you had to go with a buddy, <laughs> you know, to, to get a gun that to me kind of more fits into what I feel like the spirit of those three words are a well-regulated militia, right? And we have this negative connotation to the word militia today because that sounds scary. Like, what are those guys? Let's be honest. It's redneck, usually guys. redneck crazy. That's the first that's, association, right? Yeah, yeah. that's, that's a, a, a word people might <laughs> I use. Said, that. I yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea of what a militia meant means today versus what it maybe meant, you know, in the 18th century when the country is trying to fight uh, against uh, the, the British. And we were relying not just on, you know, an, an organized army, but like... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before the Constitution were first created, they didn't trust each other. That's, so New York hated New Jersey. That, New Jersey hated Vermont. The, the, they were afraid that if we created a unified United States, that the unified United States might attack one of the states. So they wanted to have their own militias, their own armies to protect themselves if the entire United States decided to attack New York. That's the second, that's the second phrase, though. The first phrase is the well-regulated militia. Well, the well-regulated militia is ambiguous in terms of legalities. Many people think a well-regulated militia means that the state has the right to create their own rules regarding gun rights. But this is where there's an issue. Are you talking about the federal government creating an overarching gun right? Or are you talking about individual states creating their own gun rights? Because there's a divide there as well. So most of the, first of all, to all the people who are listening and watching, we have a, a law professor here that actually schooled us here, and we, we accept with grace. But so uh, uh, his name is Daniel. Uh you want to you want to say your last name or that's fine okay um so um the debate that you see 
let's say not the debates that are the the really flimsy ones that we can ignore. The debates that you see that you think are are made somewhat uh, coherently, as far as you can say. Do you think that those are being done in terms of that distinction between the federal and the state? Or do you feel everybody are ignoring that? I think a lot of people don't recognize when you're talking about gun rights, are you talking at the state, the local level, or are you talking about the federal level? Because as I stated, a lot of people don't understand, oh, I am against guns and things like that. And then you're talking about someplace in North Dakota where 90% of the population use guns to hunt. But they wanted federal. So they want to cancel it for them as well, well basically. They're, they're, they're just, they're watching the news, watching podcasts about people trying to take their gun rights. And they're like, I use my gun to go hunt caribou. Yeah. What are they talking about in L.A.? Right? Right, right, right. Like, and they want to take my gun rights from me? Right? No, not this podcast, though, because we have a legal well, expert. Well, I'm, just, I'm, just <laughs> stating, I'm just stating that's, that's, that's an issue. Like, if, if you're going to talk about gun rights, you can talk about it within localities. You can talk about federal, right? But then you've got to be sensitive towards what restrictions you're going to be speaking about. You know, they say that uh, all, all ultimate truth must be simple. That is the simplest one point I've ever heard that, the, and it should have been obvious, but yeah. it, I, I, somehow it gets completely, <laughs> thank you for that, Daniel. Well, uh, I, somehow I, it gets Jordan completely Peterson, eliminated. FYI, your conversation on Jordan Peterson was completely off. Well, the, I, I, I can't. Because you cannot talk about a quote from Jordan Peterson without looking at the context. And that's what 99% of podcasts do in error. Without looking at the context of this conversation, he made the rabbit. Jordan Peterson, the first time I, Russell heard about Jordan Peterson was from me. Okay. Wait, wait, but I think I addressed the context to some extent. No, you didn't. You, you said, I don't quite know what it is. No, no, no. I, sa- I, I said, listen, the context that I offer, I don't know if you heard or not, is that first of all, he was borrowing from Young on that particular point. And the idea there is not that you should become a monster, but that you should recognize you already are one. What was the quote before he said the monster cult, though? He talked about a rabbit. Oh, specifically. Which book was it in, by the way? No, it's, it's, I think it's in a, in a speech. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, because, sure. But he talks about a rabbit and how he talks about vir- virtuosity and how virtuosity is a rabbit virtuous, in other words. Well, a rabbit doesn't do anyone any harm, right? And, thus, and then you've got to define monster. What does he mean by... You can't talk about monster without defining what monster is. Sure, sure. Is a, is a monster someone who's violent? Or is a monster someone who protect who understands violence to protect others so actually no we were addressing some of those points and obviously we have uh you know because i know that we also have a limited time i always have to kind of like think about wh- what is the what is the right point to kind of move on because we're not trying to sure, sure. Uh, win a debate but so uh but win a debate. I, I just think the context you've got to really if you're going to quote someone and, and talk about a quote you've got to look at that entire context sure but uh, but i don't want to put russell on the spot because i asked him about that and well, he yeah. doesn't but then it's not fair for the person you're quoting uh, i well I, I think that's actually what i'm trying to address though because my point again going back to jordan peterson wasn't about the quote from jordan peterson it's but was was from the people that hear it right and so that actually kind of is a little different from what you're talking about because when I'm talking about the people that no, come I across, that. I recognize right. that. But, but the problem with that, because I thought about that, I said, well, he's, rephr- <laughs> he's he's talking about the rephrasing of it. So, and then I was like, but but the problem with the rephrasing of it 
is you hold up, you can't meet that standard. If, if, if you're in public giving a public speech, to hold someone to a standard where every single sentence that they state, and then they clarify it beforehand, and they clarify it after. Like, let's say the quote was, Bobby told me. <laughs> and then everything that says, you would then quote to that person, right? but it wasn't Bobby. Sudden, right. Jordan said this. Right. No, so, so the only, so the, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but the only thing that is relevant to that point, at least for this conversation, is because what Russell said, which is that he was responding more to what he felt that how people take it, to which I said, well, there's only so much you can do to try, you know, you can express yourself as clearly as possible. At the end, you will always be misunderstood in some way. Right. Because it's all guesswork. That's right. So, the audience, then, honestly. The what? The audience should look at the totality of how that quote was taken. Well, you're talking about like a purely... I'm going to swap the battery on. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You can still say that like my... I, I, can still, I can still offer a critique on a phrase even if it's within or without context. Or, or even if from a can, limited perspective. But, but they're going to say that you're, you're, you're taking it out of context. That's, that's fine. You can use that as a defense, but it doesn't necessarily... It's not a defense. It's, it's what they're going to say. You can use that as a complaint, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that like, I still think those words are out of order. <laughs> And you can add context to that, but I still think those words are out of order. What, what words are out of order? You should become a monster and then learn to control it. But he says that. That's what he says. Yes. And I say those words are out of order. You should learn to control it, then become a monster? You should learn discipline before strength as opposed to strength before discipline. Well, the, this is the reason why we don't give, give cars to kids. They need to learn to discipline themselves. No, no, before. so that's why for me, and this is where I kind of fall on like a third position where yeah. I really think that it's more in the sense that recognizing that you're a monster. So for example, um, do you, rec okay, so do you accept that, you yeah, we can just, so this this was, uh, okay. I'm glad that we caught a lot of that. No, no, no. Th I didn't hear that. The what, the what, the what? I didn't hear, I didn't hear that statement the way you were phrasing it. Maybe right. it's on me though. Yeah, no, no, no. There's a lot of things that we said that I feel that we're like talking about nuance. And I think for me, again, it's the, the reason that it is in order is because it, it's because the, the, the Carl Jung point, yeah. which is that we are those monsters yeah. if, we don't, uh, if we don't appropriate ourselves a certain way. Right. So it's not about becoming a monster. It's about recognizing. So if I'm misunderstanding that, that's a different story. But I don't think I am. I think it's directly from Carl Jung. Which the idea of the, are you familiar with the idea of the shadow, right? Uh, you, you were talking about it in the previous conversations, but I'm, I haven't read any Carl Jung. Okay, yeah. so, so the idea of very broad strokes is that the shadow is an integral part of the human psyche. Sure. And it's not something that you can ever eradicate. And in fact, if you ignore it, it becomes like that kid in class that is ignored that eventually shows up and shoots everybody. Right. Because it's being completely marginalized and, uh, and isolated and all that stuff. Yeah. And the, so essentially you're treating... Part, portions of your psyche like you're treating an individual and if you integrate the shadow which also c contains a lot of creative force you are and this is where um i heard alan once once talking about carl young and he said that he called it the irreducible rascality which is like the recognition that there is a component of a uh, rascal is a nice word but there's a component of a criminal, a bad person, uh, whatever it is that you want to throw at it, that exists in you now. Right. And most people who are, don't recognize that about themselves, that it's actually there, they are the most dangerous individuals because they're the ones that externalize it towards something else. Mm -hmm. And it's just an automatic thing that you do. And then you 
vilify other people. So like, um, you 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 like you see this in in play out in all the movements that are against things, mm-hmm. right? Now it there are certain things that you got to combat, right? Uh, it's a really good thing that you know the. Uh, so okay, this is actually a perfect example. So the entire gay liberation movement was an incredibly good thing, right? But notice that they were for gay rights, right? Right. right? They weren't against the masculine, right? They weren't against the white people, right? Right. Right. So if the if BLM, for example, just to make that tiny switch, which is like we are fighting for this, that's what we want to build, yeah. right? Versus let's destroy. Right, that would give it a completely different tone, and it would also probably make it survive for way longer because it would be a thing that is actually moving towards a goal versus the the, the impulse right. to destroy. The impulse right. is stronger than the idea. So if the impulse is to destroy at all costs right now, because that's the monster that I see in front of me, which by the way is inside of you, yep. and then you keep doing that when the target is out, you still have the impulse. Yep. You're still trying to destroy. And it will keep unfolding in the world. And I think the deeper, the more nuanced idea here is that. that that's, that's essentially why recognizing that you're a monster first. Now, the thing that I said that I do agree with you is that I do think that there are other word, word formulations, not switching in this particular case for me, but maybe saying capable of yeah. versus are. Right. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I would... Imagine you are teaching someone how to fire a gun just to fold all these ideas sure, sure, all sure. onto each other, right? When you're teaching someone to fire a gun, you don't give them a loaded gun, right? So you don't give them the strength first. You give them an unloaded gun and you teach them how to hold it, right? You teach them which way the bullet goes out all like you have to be like very very clear like we're in the range this thing gets pointed that way the whole time you never point anything else it's like a laser coming out right and you spend a lot of time with an empty weapon before you load it so that they understand and that they are clear with it right now maybe that's not true for everyone maybe some people do it the other way i'm just saying for my personal philosophy when it comes to dealing with things with power you you teach the the discipline before you get the full power right like you don't get a car and with with a 16 year old and be like okay freeways this way let's go no you you drive with them first and you explain to them what i'm doing i'm looking this way i'm looking this way we learn the laws and everything first and then you drive around the parking lot you know what i mean and so this is it's a it's a small critique on this idea and in the end like that person that is driving the car that person that's holding the weapon they get that choice to say well i'm going to conduct myself in such a way as to be violent or i'm not going to but so by the end they they both of these ideas come to the same point it's just the route that i take verbally to get to that point where you have the strength and the discipline to me the discipline leads the strength Whereas when you take that, like the, it's it's a weird critique, and it's not that I no no it's not weird. Yeah. What I'm thinking is that it doesn't fully run through. The reason I think that is because in this particular case, it's not like you're being given something. You are being told that you already have the gun and it's already shooting all the time. Yeah. And what you need to recognize is first that this is happening. That's why it doesn't work. But the best the better example would be like a weird I I can't think of a, a cyclope. 
like from X-Men, yeah. right? It's already happening. Right. You need to learn how to control that. Right. So the recognition has to be of the fact that it's happening. You're not being given a gun by that statement. The statement tells you, hey, you need to recognize that you're shooting at everybody right now. Right. That, that, that's, that's how I see the... So the reason why I would still put that same time frame, time frame even on Cyclops is that there was a point, like he didn't come out of the womb with lasers coming out of his No, ass. no. So in this particular case, you are. So that's the difference. So that's so yeah. that is the difference. Okay, so a little yeah. different. So even when you're yeah. a little kid, yeah. you're already pushing people, right. right? You're already doing the. That's the shadow, right? Right. And and while that's there, though, you're being taught discipline, hopefully by the people around you before. But you they're not being told why. It's not responsibility. It's you being told not to. Sure, sure. And that's different. And that can take yeah. that can take a, a, a few different forms and be done a few different ways, right? So there's now we're <laughs> gonna no, 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 no. I, I think but, we actually nailed it. That yeah. that's the main difference. But we're. We're, I think we're still moving in the same direction, but what I'm saying is that even as a kid, you aren't imbued with the strength that you will have as an adult. So the idea. So is what that, he's saying is that even when you're an adult, certain people still don't have that strength, and he's trying to give it to them. Right. Yeah. But but hopefully you would you would want even so as the adult before they get that full strength, you would want to teach the discipline first. I, that that's just my. No, I hear you fully. That's my ideal behind. I fully yeah. hear you. Like I'm, I'm hearing you 100. Yeah. percent All I'm saying is that what it seems to me that he means is that you don't have that privilege of of right now you're at, you're at 60 before you go to 100, learn how to control it. No, he's saying you are at 100. Right. There is no a 60 here. It's just that the way that you're shooting in all directions is haphazard and is already uh, wreaking havoc. And you just don't realize it. It's yep. wreaking havoc on your loved ones. It's wreaking havoc on how you behave. It's contagious, so other people are doing it. So first recognize that you did you have this power that is at 100 all the time. Right. It's just that you are distributing the, the, the expression of that power in ways that you don't realize because you don't even realize you have that power. So then, that, so then let's, let's back up to sure. the, the, the part of the quote that we're talking about. You should be a monster and then learn to control it. Is it, that the exact it, quote? Uh, like but 90%. I think it matters. If he's saying become a monster, then everything I said falls by the sideways. So it's, it's like, right. So I'm, I'm like 90% sure it's... And I go back and forth because sometimes I hear Joe Rogan in my head and sometimes I hear Jordan <laughs> Peters in my head. I'm like, which one am I actually... No, wait, wait. I mean, we'll obviously fact yeah, check this and I'll yeah. put the, the correction, but this yeah. is still a fun to... So, so my point would be that if, if it was what you were saying, then the quote should be, you are a monster and now you should learn to control it, which is still... Which I what I believe he was saying, like recognize right. that you're a monster, and and in that case that makes that would make more sense to me, yeah, right. But if if it turns out that the quote is you should be a monster and then learn to control it, that means there's still a should that you should you should pursue the monster part first, and then once yes. you're at the monster part, then learn. To control I would it. say that if that is the exact quote, I would have to go back and read like much more and actually uh, correct a lot of the stuff that I said. Like, <laughs> like uh, all my argument, but if, if he says you should become, if it's, the word become is in be. there. It's not become, it's you should be. Okay, so manifest is, as. Okay, right. yeah. So, okay. Well, then then that's, yeah, I, I guess it really is in the quote. I just believe that in the end of the day, it's all about the attitude we believe we should appropriate in the world. And people who connect to certain attitudes, notice that a lot of times, what the person is saying, I think most of the time, is really secondary. It's how they say the thing sure. that resonates with people. Sure. And the people who feel that angst and pain that 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 uh, Jordan Peterson literally like carries himself as, yep. they recognize that and they immediately connect to that. You know how they say, like, 
you want to have a successful date, mimic the partner, right? They, right. they like that when people subconsciously, when they do what they do. Yeah. So I think that's what's going on more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that Jordan is kind of fighting this apocalyptic war. So that, that's what, you know what I mean? So that's why, that's why he's appropriating it this way. But I think that at the end of the day, the people who you interacted with, the people who got this idea and like ran with it to the extent that you felt that they are, they are the people who connect to the attitude more than the things that he's saying. And those people, I would say, would find a reason to do the, 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 the things that you think might be a little bit more on the on the on the wrong side of doing because it might lead to some very un, uh, unwanted outcomes. Uh, I they would find a reason to do that either way. Right. That that's that's really what you know what it comes down to. That's why I personally connect more to the like Sam Harris attitude because I'm trying to aspire to be more. It's not like a, by no stretch of the imagination that I managed to be that Zen so so often, but I aspire to be that more. Than being the neurotic self that I already am. Sure. You see what I mean? It's like, so it's like I think it's 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 really that. But there are a lot of quotes that Jordan Peterson have that that imbue that that idea of like self improvement and making doing the things to make yourself better until you get to the point where you are better. Like I I, I do hear a lot of good things from him that I'm like yeah that I'm, I'm with that I'm with that I'm with that. It's just it's just a yeah. couple little things. Yeah, and yeah. Like, eh, and, and, but, yeah. and I'm a hundred percent with you. There's yeah. a lot of like small quotes like that. Like for me, it's like, uh, you know, like the whole thing about get your shit together, yeah. right? Like he's very very adamant about like getting it early on. But it feels to me like that really kills the drive for older people. Like, what if people get their shit together later? Yes, it's harder, but it's possible. Yeah. And he makes it sound like it's impossible, well, right? So that no no no. So I'm just giving yeah, an example yeah. of where I'm I'm. Kind of like on your side of saying, "Hey, I'm sh- I think there's a better way of saying this." Sure, and yeah, yeah. In in the case where he's saying something like "get your shit together," it's I, I feel like the video is taking place like in a college campus kind of thing, and he's talking to younger people, so it, it, that message is tailored to them in that moment, and so it makes more sense to me to say it in that way to the you know based on the audience. No, I think I'm, I, I like I actually followed him quite a bit, and I, I found that he says that in many occasions, sure. and it's pretty much the same rhetoric because he's yeah. trying to keep it uh, objective. Sure. But yeah, I think I think that yeah, I think I think that in the end we there's where this thing kind of like my capacity of interacting with it is that I there's so much you can do to try and be clear. Yeah. People that want to misunderstand you will no matter what you're going to do. Yeah. And you know, it's uh uh in the end I I see that a lot with with even people who are really trying. I'm not even talking about like, forget about like everything we talk about, like politics and all that stuff. People are not even trying to understand. It's not about that. But people are really trying and they just completely miss each other's points. And in the end of the day, it's like, what are you doing this for? Right? In that regard, it's almost like what Elon is doing is easier. It sounds like the most ridiculous thing to say, but only in the sense that he doesn't need justification outside of what the thing does at the end. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's like whatever. The, the proof is in the pudding. I don't need to explain anything to anyone. It does this, right? Now, obviously, it's more complicated than that. And yes, there's like a lot of uh, because of investors and things like that. But it's when you are leading a life of a public intellectual and that's your entire uh, uh, career, right? Uh, well, obviously, his career was actually as a, as a professor. So like for him, it's a little bit different. But now... I would assume that the majority of what he does is, is the public speaking, right? So if your entire career is about being understood, even then, 
there's only so much you can do. And then, and then like the interaction, like if, if, if we wouldn't be in the context of this conversation and me like knowing you so well and knowing who you are, uh, if I would just hear somebody making the, 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 the argument that you just made on Reddit, let's say, which is like, I heard other people saying this and that's why it bothers me. I wouldn't even acknowledge that comment because yeah. I, there's, there's nothing you can do. It's like, if you're saying that 80% of the people that he listens to him, like, you know, take it, say, the wrong way. Take yeah. it this way. Yeah. Okay. You have a point, yep. but if it's a few people, like I mean, what are you gonna do? There's just there's literally there's nowhere you can go. That's why in, the, in, the, in that sense, it's like it's so it must be so difficult to be an individual who's chose, or I guess in this particular case, it 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 chose him in some sense, but you you fart in the wrong way. And like, look, think about it. seriously. Think about this. Yeah, like, no. it's not like Joe Rogan who just sits there and has fun and can always say, "Hey, I'm just a comedian." Yeah. Outside of a couple of cases where it's just that's not going to fly, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's different. Here, you literally are putting yourself. You're sticking your neck out so far, and so many people along the way trying to cut your neck. Yeah. That like it, this must be the most like. It must be more exhausting and more stressful than even being a politician because I, you actually care about how people perceive you. But at the same time, it's it's all of those little critiques that help to sharpen the ideas as you go through. So it's like you can't say 100%. like like I've gotten to the point I've I've reached like A plus philosophy and no like all my ideas are unassailable. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is the idea of having the idea so that no, but but I go back to if eighty percent would be espousing what he's saying in this way, yeah. like you said, then yeah, yeah. 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 And actually, the per, the perfect uh, uh, I should probably think of other examples because it sounds like I'm becoming a one trick pony. But like like that that example with uh, Sam Harris and uh, Majid Nuaz, you know that 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 whole story. Tell me. So Majid Nuaz is he was this radical, um, uh, not jihad, but one step removed. That would be uh, Islamist, okay. right? And he was actually part of an organization in uh, all over the world from Britain, but they were all over the world, and they, they were involved in creating coups, like overthrowing governments and things like that. So their only difference between them and jihadists is that they don't directly kill, but they definitely, they, they, they are very radical. So okay. they're like, they, they are trying to overthrow governments, that whole thing. And um, he got caught, and he was sent to prison in Egypt, and he served quite a bit, I think like seven years. And then during the time he was in prison, he kind of, he reformed himself. Like he read a few books, he met the right people, and he realized that what he's doing is kind of crazy, right? And uh, he completely flipped. And then when he got, when he was released, he moved to England uh, and he started a foundation, an organization, and he became an activist from the other side, which is trying to um, de-radicalize, what would be the word of like making less radical? De-radicalize. De-radicalize. Yeah. De um, as many extreme Muslims as he possibly could through conversation yeah. and through like, and because he came from that world, he had kind of like a, an understanding of how to have this conversation. So that's the individual, right? Then uh, the, he was debating uh, Hayan Hirsi Ali, who I don't know if you know who she is, but she's the, uh, this woman in the Dutch parliament who escaped the Muslim world. And she was she's very much speaking against Islam and like everything that it represents on the radical side. And uh, because she escaped that world and she be she became very highly educated, 
uh, she went through like hell in her life. She went through, you know, she had the um, uh, genital mutilation, all that stuff. And um, she became a, like a, a part of the uh, Dutch parliament. Mm -hmm. And she was in a debate against Majid Noah's. And um, the motion was, is Islam religion of peace? And Sam Harris happened to be in the audience because he's Hayan Hirsi Ali's friend, right? And after the thing, there was an event, and they kind of like, you know, started drinking and blah, blah, blah. And then when the cameras like were off, Sam basically kind of yelled at uh, Majid Nawaz. He said, well, now the cameras are off because he was on the side of like, Islam is a religion of peace. But that's just the motion on the side, right? Because yeah. it's a formal debate. And he's like, well, now, can you admit now at least that Islam is not a religion of peace? And then it started like this whole thing. It almost got into like actual swings. The, like like it got, after the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually got into it. almost like violence, right? Oh. And um, years later, Sam Harris had the... He was on this uh, uh, crusade of like having... Trying to have really, really difficult conversations with individuals he doesn't agree with. Yeah. And he reached out to Majid Nawaz and he tried to kind of like talk and it's like, hey would you like to have a conversation on my podcast about what happened about like, you know, and they started talking and they became best friends and they wrote a book together yeah. that came at the thing together from like a perspective of like what Majid Nawaz was experiencing his whole life and how he came to be who he is and Sam's perception of how the West misperceives what the real issues with Islam is. Yeah. And they wrote this very short book, forget the name of it right now, but um, this is one example where you know, here's a triumph of an, a real attempt at a conversation that was extremely difficult. Yeah. And I think that all we can aspire to is to try and have those conversations. And they had to be, those conversations have to take place in such a way that both sides, not just trying to understand, but they signal to the other side that they're trying to understand. Yeah. And the thing that I think that is actually missing in most conversations is that component. Because most people are not interested in getting at a, at, at a truth or they just want to express their frustration or to express their angst or whatever it is, right? And I think that especially online, that's being like amplified, amplified by so much because you don't have a face. You right. don't, especially on Reddit, right? Anonymity, it's like, behavior and anonymity you, is exactly. totally different. And then it's yeah. just like, right. So I always say that the only way that I see that this is becoming like less of a thing and actually resolved is when you know we get into a much much later future where everything online also gains back a tactile feeling hmm. because if you can get punched in the face you know what i mean probably, even if it's yeah, online more there's polite. a little bit yeah there's yeah. a little bit of a different thing here yeah. or if you know that you're going to pay a a a certain price that is maybe equivalent to that yeah. like you, it automatically would reduce certain objective points that you can't take back online right. that actually cost you something right, right. So I think that the only way to, to get at that, but also honestly, I, I have to say that I think that certain individuals, and this is to kind of go back to like attitudes, that I think that it's, if you can sexify, if you can make it sexy to be a certain way, uh, which is to be the individual who's trying to get at the truth and not just signal that you're trying to get at the truth. Like sure. there's a big difference there, right? Yeah. I think if you make that more... Uh, in fashion, like like this being like, oh wow, this is like I like this, right? I think that you, it's like uh, you know, like Tesla. It's like it's a it's an amazingly beautiful car, so you buy it because it's beautiful, not because it's an electric car, right? Whatever. Well, you, you don't like Teslas, whatever. Wait, no, that that seemed to be like from the face that you were making. 
What? I, I, I drive a Tesla. Oh, okay. So why'd you make that face? <laughs> no, because I was like, well, no, that's it, it is a beautiful car, but it also was really fun to drive. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, no, no. Oh, All the fun I'm, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, was just, I thought the face you made, I was like, okay. No, no, uh, I, was like, I was like, and, and. I was like, adding more <laughs> reasons. For oh, I have, I have an amazing video of Kelsey freaking out in the back yeah. in the Tesla. It's amazing. She's <laughs> <laughs> like fucking slamming the thing. She's like, ah! Which one do you drive? Uh, it's, it's the Y. Yeah. Oh, the Y. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wait. Is that the one that Tim drives? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You got, yeah. yeah. I'm. I have, I'm waiting for. I think we want to get the truck when it's possible. For it, that, that is going to be a monster of a vehicle, to to use this word. <laughs> but uh, it it. Um, I'm I'm very happy with the Y. I'll put it. Oh there. no no no! I yeah. I yeah I I Tim took us on a ride. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's so the awesome. the Y is a lot of fun. Yeah. He actually it's funny because he didn't know about the Roadster. Oh, and I was yeah. like, uh, I said something. I was like, well, something about uh, not, not like the roadster. And he's like, what's the roadster? I'm like, what do you mean? And then it's like, they were kind of like talking about it. And he's like, bro, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that shit is insane. Yeah. Wait, is that true that they have, because uh, I heard Elon speak about that, but I don't know if that was actually something that was actualized. Do you know if the one, the new one that, that first of all, the new one came out already? Which one? The, the, the newest roadster. Is it, uh, or... I don't know that any the one that he was talking about with the with the, it's going to have the possibility of hopping the jets that yeah 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 I, I don't know that any production models have come off the line yet uh, I think you could just make reservations for it at okay this point, but okay yeah. but that would be fucking insane just jumping over the fucking uh, yeah. Grand Canyon or something yeah that, that car is going to be next level but yeah yeah yeah, that would be amazing, especially for fucking Mars and stuff. Yeah. Um, let, let me uh, change page just a little bit. First of all, do, do we have a hard out? I don't. Just so I know. So. There might be probably on this camera probably another 40 minutes or so, something like that. Okay. All right. Maybe so I'll, I'll take that into account. Yeah. Cool. Um, now that you're uh, – so first of all, you so there's uh, the White House show, yeah. right? What is it called again? Uh, Tyler Perry's The Oval. Oh, okay. So it, it, it's part of the name. Yeah. yeah wow, yeah, he's yeah. amazing at marketing. <laughs> Tyler Perry's. <laughs> Tyler Perry's. Uh, and the other one is a movie or a show? The uh, one with the short. It's a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I remember it. <laughs> Just so everybody understands, in the poster, Russell has very, very short shorts. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. But I guess it's because that's how they, the shorts they used to wear in basketball. It's, back it's, then, right? it's time specific for, <laughs> you know, late 70s, early 80s. I actually but, thought it was a comedy because of that. It's very yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, no. In, <laughs> funny story, when we were filming it, in the context of the 70s, those shorts make sense. In the context of 2021, walking around like where all the trucks are and all the Teamsters, oh, yeah, walking yeah. around in those shorts is, is a different experience altogether. <laughs> But uh, that one's called Candy. It's on Hulu. It's a miniseries, five episodes, and uh, stars Jessica Biel. And I have a, a smaller part in that one. Um, but that one's all true crime um, uh, dramatization of a uh, real event that happened in 1980. Yeah. So is there anything else in the works that is coming up right now? Um, like in the- I, hopefully more seasons of The Oval. I don't have any dates yet, but looking forward to finding out when we go back to work on that one. And then, um, you know working on some little things here and there hopefully some some projects on the horizon so i got some dreams <laughs> i know you do yeah. this is, one of the amazing things about watching you grow because i've known you for what now over a decade something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, we actually met we went to the same uh, acting school yeah uh tony Barr's school of acting 
led by uh, Eric Klein. Shout out to Eric. Um, and um, the, the one of the things that is really, really pleasant uh, to watch is that you have a certain way in which you do things, which is you... It seems like, I don't know if that's actually what's going on, but it always looks like it's very well well formulated. It looks like you always kind of have this plan and you're moving in a steady pace. Like you, you don't really skip a, skip a beat. You, 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 in the time that, you know, you weren't booking those huge things, you actually took a very deep dive into the uh, behind the camera side and production and understanding everything from, well, everything. Yep. And you worked with uh, one of the best, actually, with uh, with David, right? Mm-hmm. David Chong. Yep. And, um, and oh, by the way, the, I wanted to ask you that. It's just a tiny question. But do you feel that it actually contributes something? Or would that actually, it actually detract something? Because you have s- such a deep understanding of what's going on around you. I, I would say for... You're, you're asking in terms of acting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I feel like there's a couple a few different routes that people take when it comes to performance and acting. I, I think for some people, um, it's very much about the the craft and the creativity. And for some people, it's much more about the technicality of it. Right. And I, I think, um, I, I don't know enough about their specific modes of doing it, but I think of somebody like Tom Cruise as somebody on the technicality side. And that's not to say that he doesn't have a creative side, right? But when you hear about Tom Cruise and the way he works, like he's very involved in, in all the technical aspects of it. And he knows how to moderate his performance. If he's on, if the lens is on a 50 millimeter or on a 24 millimeter and, and, He's, he, you know, his mind is always partially in that world. So he would literally change the way he do, does certain things depending on small things like the the lens or lens or something like that. That's what I hear. Okay, I, I've had the the no, but that, that's the opportunity to work with yeah. him. But that's the, the, those are the stories I hear yet about him. Yeah, yet <laughs> it's not a number yet. Um, <laughs> um, and then you know you have the uh, the world of method acting, right? Um, uh, so somebody like uh, an Al Pacino. Now I'm not. I, I haven't worked with him either, yet. <laughs> but the idea is is that you know you're doing your performance and trying to forget that all of that stuff is there, and you're really living the world, right? And for me, and the way that my mind works, I found that I'm more connected to the technical side of it. And so I recognized that when I was going in for auditions, I was very preoccupied by what was going on with the camera. And, and I, I, I needed to understand that. I needed to sort of occupy my conscious brain with all of that stuff so that I could get to the performance aspect of it, knowing that I was doing the right thing technically. And I, I'm, I wasn't able to sort of throw away all of that stuff and just do what I needed to do in the moment and feel it. And, you know, maybe somebody from the more method side of acting might have a certain judgment about that. But I, I feel like everyone just kind of has their own path for how they, they get to their performance. Wait, so that actually helped you? The fact that you so, occupied a portion of your mind with that technical stuff? Yeah, so for me, the more 
the more I understood of what was going on, why the camera was where it was at, why it was moving and why I needed to stand here because that light is hitting me this way. And if I stand over here, then I'm in shadow and you're not going to be able to see me or they're going to look back over there where all the C stands are or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I needed to, I need to already have all those questions answered ahead of time so that when I, when I came into my scene, then I could just, I can throw all those questions away and that allowed me to focus on what I'm doing. Right. Whereas for other people learning all that stuff will just add more, more questions to them. You know what I mean? And, and so for me, I don't, I don't have a judgment over, you know, one way or the other. I just looked at it as what works for me. And it actually helped me out quite a bit because those technical things are what helped me to feel comfortable in, in the way that they shoot uh, the show for Tyler Perry because there's so much stuff going on that I know I would get distracted by all that stuff if I didn't understand what was going on. So for me, I, I look back at the way I've sort of built my base of knowledge and the way I, I trained myself in different aspects that it actually led me to this point where if I didn't have all that knowledge, I would have failed had I been given this opportunity, even though I like, I could go back to myself, you know, 15 years ago and be like, man, I wish I had that opportunity then. I, I, I look back now and say, man, I really needed that, 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 and that bit of information to even be able to survive in this current opportunity. So like what you're talking about, you said you saw me as someone that had a plan, even though maybe a long time ago, I didn't, see that plan i knew that i had to keep working and learning these things and when i would do something and maybe not maybe not succeed in the way i wanted to say well what you know in that failure which is an important word for me in that failure there's always that seed of of learning and and for your future success right and so you have to at that point be honest with yourself about why you failed and and why you didn't do what you wanted to do so that you could then properly take that lesson and internalize it and, and overcome it. Right. So, so yes. Yes. Short answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, well, for example, um, in the beginning of my acting career, I would get uh, sides for an audition and I'd get so frustrated because like, oh, this audition is tomorrow. Why didn't they give me the sides last week? I need all this time to learn the lines and get it good, right? And when that kept happening to me and I, I, would, I wouldn't be able to perform in the audition, I would say, well, what's going on here? I'm like, well, I'm getting hung up on learning the lines. And so back in Eric's class, I started systematically not looking at my script when I would get it a week in advance, you know, we get our scripts on Monday and the next Monday we'd put it up on, on stage. Right. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to look at it until Friday. So and you mimic the real world situation. I, I, I did, but systematically I would, you know, for a month I would do it Friday and then, okay, I'm gonna move to Saturday. Okay. Now I'm gonna move to Sunday. Now I'm gonna wait till Monday. I'm not going to look at the script until Monday. I know Eric would probably be really upset, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, I got to the point He's throwing where, some papers in the yeah. air right <laughs> I got to the point where I would start to learn my lines the night we got them and I could, I could put that scene up, at least be, you know, mostly off book within 45 minutes and then turn around when I get the audition for the oval, I get the audition, I get the size at 7 PM and they want it back by noon and I give it back to them at 11 PM and I get the call back. I do the same thing. And that's what I feel, even though I don't have the information on the inside, I, I imagine that they they saw that those that the turnaround was very fast because they know that when they're going into production we're doing a lot of pages a day and if you can't if, if you need 
you know, two weeks with the material mm-hmm. before you can get off book, then, you know, there's, yeah, the, 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 it's that gonna cut really, into production. Yeah, that no doesn't work. really yeah. work in this world, right? Yeah. And so for me, I, I look at that process, and even though I didn't know why I was doing it then, now it makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, I was training for specifically yeah. a job at, on one of these Tyler Perry shows where where we do move fast, and and it to me it all kind of came together in that way. And I'm like, wow, I, I was really working toward this. And was there any indicator in those tasks that felt like this is the right thing to do, or you feel it's like in the Elephant in the mind, uh, mind and, uh, what is it? Brain. The brain, yeah. elephant in the brain. Uh, it's more like a back propagation, like a rationalization that you're making after. The way I'm describing it now is definitely backfilling it with. No, with but do you feel that back then, mind? like if you, if you, like, I think there's a certain extent uh, that to, there's a certain degree to which we can trust our mind. Right. Uh, within the framework of whatever this is, right? So I think in that regard, sometimes we can look back at a moment in time and sometimes know that, yeah, there was some component there that I kind of, it's hard to know, but that, that's what I'm asking. Was there like a moment back then that you were like, I could have done other things, but that felt like, I don't know, either because it was with this person and it felt right or just that task was like filling out a, a need to learn that I had. Yep. There was some, some component of truth to it, basically. I, w- I, w- I would say there were two things that were going on. Um, one of them was was being honest with myself and it was making the switch from saying they're doing something wrong to me by giving me this script the day before the audition to i need to learn how to learn my material faster so that was like the personal responsibility aspect of it the second is a little bit harder to define um i think in the acting world there's There's a there's a particular challenge, and it, it kind of reminds me in a way to football. I played football a lot, so a lot of things remind me of football. If you want to get better at basketball, you can kind of just by yourself go out and shoot, and shoot free throws, free throws, three-point line, three-point line, layups, 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 and you can really drill yourself on the basics, right? When it comes to football, it's very hard to work on your skill sets alone. You kind of have to do it in the context of at least having one other person to throw the ball to, you know what I mean? There's very little that you can kind of do. You can kind of work footwork or do it, you know, but it's almost like you need a group in order to, to get better at something. And for me, acting is kind of the same way where it's like, you can only do so much on your own to, to kind of build up your strength. Um, but you kind of need to be, with people and, and, and work that aspect of it. And so I, I found myself getting frustrated where I would get in situations where I wasn't doing anything because I, I felt like I needed to have, you know, well, I'll, I'll figure it out once I get booked on the job and then I can start to figure it out. You know, I'll be with the group. And so what I started doing once I made that switch to make it about the personal responsibility is that I started looking for ways, like what are the little drills that I can do that maybe they're not, you know, as good as doing things as a group. Cause that was my excuse that I was giving myself. And what are the little things that I can do to, to better myself individually that I can then, you know, hopefully carry those over when, when the opportunity presents itself. And so it was those little things of like learning how to, you know, learn lines quickly. It was learning about camera and lighting and lenses and all that stuff that I could, that 
gave me a sense of familiarity and knowledge about what was going on so that when I was in the situations where there I was in the group, I had this, this sort of body of knowledge that I could apply to it. So those are, those are the, the, the two things that I kind of used to, to get to that point. Do you feel that in the, in, on the higher level, if you, if you have to choose one or the other, do you feel you enjoy acting more or more on the side of like the creative, like uh, the conductor, like the director or somebody who actually writes the material and gotcha. produces the material? Yeah. Um, I think that when, when I look at the careers of other people, I think the ones that I kind of always get most jealous of are the um, are the ones that do a lot of different things, you know? So somebody like Issa Rae, who was the, um, uh, Issa Rae was the, the filmmaker that did uh, uh, HBO's Insecure. She's the writer, she's the producer, she's the director, and she's the star of the show. And I look at somebody like that, I'm like, man, that's the kind of career that I want to have. Like an auteur, but also does all the acting in front of the camera, like everything yeah, from yeah. A to Z. Yeah. yeah, so I always have a difficult time answering this question. Um, I, I will. Oh no! I think you answered it. That you you aspire to be good at that, which I, is being able to take it from A to Z, yeah, and play all the roles if needed, to the best of your ability. Would that be a fair summation? It, it's 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 close. I, I I'll say this: when it, it's not that I have to do all of those at any particular job. There are people that do that and do a great job at it is that I find fulfillment in doing all of those things. For me, what I enjoy is just being part of the tradition of storytelling through filmmaking. Mm. And so f- whether that is as an actor, whether that is as a camera operator, whether that's just you know doing the, the data downloads at the end of the day, all of that... I actually love those. I don't know what it says about me, but... <laughs> it's it's kind of fun. you got your little laptop. It's just you got to make sure it's all the yeah, correct... Yeah, organized and lines yeah, and dot, yeah, dot, yeah. dot, and margins yeah. and this and that. And the, yeah. So all that stuff to me is, is rewarding. Um, and, and so if, if I never did another acting job, but I was still working at camera, that would make me happy. Maybe not the manager so much, but that would, I would still find joy in that. And I would still find time on the side to sort of find little ways that maybe I could get back into the acting part of it. But then at the same time, um, uh, if, if I was acting for the rest of my life and I never was a camera operator again, I, I, I wouldn't feel like I was missing out on something, you know? So I just really, for me, the, I, I find storytelling such an important aspect of the human experience that, um, it, it, I, I feel honored to be a part of that tradition. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's that attitude is the healthiest one to take in in any um, in any domain. Really, is that it sounds so cliche, but I mean, think about it. Like functionally, that's the most true thing you can adopt as an attitude, which is like love the thing, try and absorb as much of it as possible. So uh, you know, I, uh, one of my guests, uh, Lucas, he is this incredible performer guitar player singer and he says that whenever he works on whenever he doesn't work on his music he works on the pedals or the setup or whatever but so he still works on his music because right. he's he's you know he's a really good uh, mechanical engineer he's like he's very smart like yep. he does a lot of things but yep. they all involve music yep. somehow so he always works on that right in any aspect and i feel that that's actually not different it's just that i feel that uh some like because you know there's always this school of thought that like if you don't focus on one thing 
you know, you can ever do it as well. Uh, but then Elon comes along and, <laughs> and disrupts five industries. Yeah. So, like, so I don't know, man. But then again, not everybody can be like, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of mesmerizing to watch people on that level. And uh, the woman that you, you mentioned, what's her name again? The woman who does all the things that... Issa Rae. Yes. It, 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 it's always amazing because, again, you do get this limited attention and you do have to actually be pretty proficient in all those things to do all of them together well. Right. But I think when you get to the... If you do invest yourself in this way in this way, and you, and you get to this point where those things start converging and you start having this like bird-eye view of the whole thing unfolding and you start understanding... Yeah. The level of freedom, of creative freedom you gain from that is something that I think can't be matched with just doing one thing. Not, I'm not knocking down doing one thing. I'm just saying that it, as far as, no, as far as storytelling. Yeah. Because the, then the storytelling is not bound by what you can express in that moment. It, it, it opens up into all those dimensions of expression in which you can create the story, tweak the story, express the story. Uh, involve people to tell the story better what kind of people uh, like you would have all those understandings in real time and it, it just it just much greater freedom and I feel like because everything and especially in the in the film world became so much more accessible and cheaper sure you have the possibility like 15 20 years ago you know actually creating a film like that looks like really good will be maybe 20 years ago, no, but like maybe 30, 40 years, it would be almost impossible. Right. Because you would need the funding. You right. would need the studio. You would need the whatever. But right. now, like it, it moves more and more towards the individual. The yeah. has come down. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it just depends on whether, whether or not you're willing to actually put in the work. Right. There's certain things that, again, like law, like being doctors, like being a physicist, there's certain things that the, just the, the level of undis- minimal understanding you must have sure. to even approach the subject matter is so enormous that, uh, at least for now, there's no really other way around it. But in many domains, you can be, along all those steps, you can contribute quite a bit just by the willingness of being open-minded and creative and just actually putting like all, your entire soul into whatever it is that you happen to be learning or doing in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something to be said, though, for specialization. I, I, I think you're also not, you know, saying specialization is is bad. Um, oh no, 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 I'm not saying it's bad. I'm yeah. saying that to to me, let me clarify. Yeah. To me, the way it appears to me is that I would like you rather be able to uh, kind of tie this knot onto, like seeing the entire machinery operating. Uh, it's just that no, I, what I'm resisting is the statement you can't oh. possibly get as good right, right. at all those things together. I think it's just a matter of commitment. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying with that. And I, on, on one hand, I, I do have a bit of me that is like, oh, I, I wish I could specialize in that way. And which one would you specialize in? I don't know. Ah, so you that, can't. Yeah, so that's really, exactly what you can't. It could just be a yeah. way that I'm backfilling my indecision <laughs> with logic and be like, no, I just love all of it. But really, I, I can't decide which one I would rather do. Um, hard to say. <laughs> that, <laughs> if I'm being that, that's the humility in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think in the end of the day, it's it's. I think the human mind is capable of absorbing, um, almost infinite amount of of information that if it if you do it long enough it just becomes part of the back function yep. and then you can focus on the creative side in what however many things you absorbed yep. 
till that moment, basically. But I would, you wouldn't have the same experience if you wouldn't know that well all those things. Like you wouldn't be focusing on the camera and all that stuff because you wouldn't be able to. But there is there is a um, like a mental decay that takes place though when you're swapping roles that I've noticed. Uh, but in, in the task switching, you mean? Right. Right. Okay. And so like. If you if you are doing like a, going back to like a, a physical workout thing, if you're doing like curls all the time, and then you switch to doing like bench press, when you come back to doing curls again, it takes a while to build that strength back up, right? Mm. And so in the same way, like there's, uh, I was working on a movie last summer as an actor, and the cinematographer says, "I'll take camera," and I the camera was kind of sitting on the ground next to me, and he was about to go, you know, handheld over the shoulder. And my like instinct was to like jump and get in the camera. I'm like, oh wait, that's not my job right now. And I had to like refocus. Like, no, I'm just here to do this part, right? But then when I'm working as an actor for a long time, and when you're working in, as an actor, you kind of like sit off to the side, and you wait for someone to come and get you and tell you what to do. Right. And then I go like uh, I went from one job as an actor, uh, and then jumped on to doing uh, uh, camera crew. And I remember like my first day on set doing camera crew and I was just kind of standing there and I'm like, okay, I'll get breakfast. And, and I was like, oh wait, I got things to do. Like I need to, you know, and I had to like, like switch my brain into like crew mode and like, no, no one's not going to, you know, no one's going to tell me do this, do this, do this. I need to go do these things and be on top of it so that when they say we need this, it's there. But that's because you're not doing it on a regular basis. Well, because you, I mean, you can't do either on a regular no, basis. No, but you're saying she, like, I'm going to remember her name eventually. What's her name again? Issa Rae. Yes. Yeah. How do you spell that? Uh, I-S-S-A-R-A-E. Issa Rae. Okay, now I remember. Yeah. So Issa Rae, is she doing all of them in the same in the same breath? Like in, in, the, in the same project? I mean, she's definitely writing okay. the show, which takes place, you know, before the show's in production. So she's involved with all that aspect, and that's pre-production. That's part of the director's okay, job. Okay, but she's doing but then, all of those things, like, on a regular basis, back-to-back, Right. I, I imagine, like, so, I, but I that's think, what I, I would assume that yeah. then that becomes the task, right? And all, then all of it. It's just to that, learn how to do all of those exactly. things. Exactly. It's right? just that yeah. the workflow in, involves all of those things, right? Yeah. 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 So that, that I think that that's what it's just. A, if you just focus on one thing long enough, even if it's a pretty short period, probably, right? Then you be, you have this task switching problem, basically. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's amazing, man. Uh, what you said? You said you're also working on something. Uh, that you're creating right now or no? This is just kind of like... Oh, I, like I, I got some, some dreams on the horizon. Okay. I'll put All it right. that way. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I guess super secret. We don't talk about that. Uh, well, you know, if, if sometimes if you talk about goals, yeah. sometimes then you, that sets off the biochemistry in your brain that you've already completed the goals and then you'll lose some of the motivation. To oh, to me, it's the absolute opposite. If I said it, it it's happening. It Even happen. if I didn't yeah. necessarily... That's why I would sometimes tell people. Yeah. Uh, only because I know that to, if to that if I go back on that, yeah. I can't live with myself. <laughs> yeah, I have to like uh, I can't sleep. Yeah. So I I would have to somehow complete it. And I actually looked at that, and it's really weird. You know how you said um, that you didn't necessarily know that you had a plan, but then all of a sudden now you look back, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Sometimes I would notice that the thing that I said by passing to someone, all of a sudden years later, literally happened exactly how I said it. I was yeah. like whoa, I wasn't even thinking about that. And then it happened exactly like that. It's almost like, you know, you, you, I think if there's any truth to like manifesting, this will be it. It's like you plant an idea that is strong enough to kind of guide your behavior, even when you're not paying attention. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just that you really want, like, for that reason or another, you want the the completion to happen. Yeah. Either because it's you know other people will will criticize you or I don't know, or just like that's how you wired. But I, I see what you're saying. Sometimes you say the thing and then it's like, oh yeah, okay, so I guess it's done. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like when you really have to shit and then you see the toilet and that then it goes. It never happened to me. It never happened to me. I just heard people talk about it. So I'm just uh, referring the information forward. Um, so because I think, how long do we have? Maybe another 10, 15. It's 10. actually the camera battery and not the, oh, okay. the screen battery. So this is the camera battery? So we have no, those are the screen batteries. It's it's going to be up on the screen. Okay, so about 10 minutes Maybe. To, on the safe side. <laughs> Maybe I can swap cameras. Yeah. Okay. Then I'll, and then in about three minutes, I'll start kind of wrapping up. Um, personal question. Sure. Kids, you want them? I actually just had this conversation with with my uncle last weekend. Um, I'll put it I'll, I'll put it this way. A few years ago, I think the idea of having kids would have been scary for a couple reasons. But um, as as an actor, it's it's almost like a selfish choice in a way to continue to pursue it if if it, if it's not having a lot of uh returns and you're it's like hard to um you know handle your finances and you're like okay i gotta bartend i gotta do these other things to keep the the ball rolling as it were and so the idea of like introducing a kid into that was more scary than i was really willing to jump into because then i would say well is it really worth pursuing this or do I have to do something that's a more stable option because I'm responsible for this person now? In the last year or so, that equation has changed. Um, there's still some reservations because it's like, well, how long does this job last? And then what's my life look like after that? And will I get more work and all that? But at least for the moment, that that equation is different, right? And so that fear is is less prominent. Uh, I think, I think my whole life, I, I love the idea of having kids, having a family, having little ones that, that sounds fun to me. And I think I would enjoy being a dad. Um, so it's, it's definitely something I would want to do. It's just a question of being responsible. And I would feel like I was being really selfish if I didn't have some kind of success to make it worthwhile to continue to pursue acting, continue to pursue storytelling through film and television. Um, if, if I was struggling and then trying to have a kid in that situation and that, that, you know, everyone kind of prioritizes those questions differently. And it's like, well, you know, you, well, my uncle was kind of telling me and he's a, a wise man and I, I accept his opinion. I, I know mine is probably not the strongest, but I gotta, I gotta do what's right for me. Um, is that, uh, you know, you're kind of never going to be ready to have kids and you just kind of have to do it. That's what my sister told me. Yeah. The exact same thing. Yeah. Okay, what do I know because I don't have kids? Yeah. But it seems to me like that's not necessarily fully true. Like, I feel like you can get to a stage in which you're financially so secure and you know you, how you can pull it off. And you're like, yeah, I'm scared a little, but... Like, let's try. Like, let's right. actively try and have a child. Like, I right. think you can get to that place. Right. But yeah, I can totally see what they mean is like maybe emotionally you're not always fully ready. And also I feel like uh, 
when you have the child, it's like you got to be a complete psychopath to then not have like this like extra fire under your ass to no matter what you're going to make it happen. Right. But you're saying that that might have actually that fear might have actually pushed you to maybe pick something that's a little bit more stable and less and that that was the the main fear, right? Yeah, like I I maybe say I was working at a restaurant at the time, maybe I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to stop pursuing and you know, it, it's it's prioritization of resources. And so maybe I stop putting resources into film and television and say, okay, well, I'm going to be a general manager at this restaurant, you know, and, and take something that had a more stable outlook. Um, and I, I would have been fine doing that. And I, I, I think that that could be a good job. It, it's not an easy job by any means. And you can definitely make a living doing that. And I would have been happy and had kids and done that whole thing. Um, it's just until that situation, until that was a bridge I was crossing, I didn't have to make that decision. And so it could have just been, well, maybe I delay that decision until, until something happens for me. And now that it has, I'm like, well, what's my excuse now? Yeah. Well, <laughs> but also it's like, uh, it's, it's not as risky anymore or, you know, maybe, maybe if there was no timeline for when that was going to happen, then I, I keep kicking the can down the road kind of thing, you know? And so it could just be justifying that, that kicking process by saying, Oh, now I've done it, but it was, it was always risky and there was never a promise that I would yeah. have this success. I, I just, I, I thought about it a lot recently. I just feel like, and this is where I might, I might actually get a lot of hate from the left, but cause it's a weirdly seemingly more conservative idea on the surface. And I don't really know where it comes from, to be honest. But all of a sudden, something hit me. And it might just be genetic. Like, it might be that genetically, we predispose to have certain types of feelings at a certain age. Yeah. It's just because that that's kind of drives the evolutionary uh, pressure, right? right. Um, but I feel like uh, there's something about having children that completes you as a human being. Like, there's a component there. Now, this is by no means to say that, you know, whoever doesn't have children is not a complete human being. Is that there's a certain experience in having a kid that because it's a life of somebody else, because it's like, think about how surreal it is. It's like a little, it's like literally like, a, it's not like a thing you borrowed or like this is, this is, it's kind of like a full life thing. Yeah. And there's something about that, the, the interaction. And also, plus the, the component that, you vicariously relive their young, your own young younger years through the eyes of what you see they're going through. Which there's some components that I'm sure they never go away because they're just human. Yeah. And then there's all the you know the more modern things. So it's like there's a version of that, but now you can see what your version of that was. And there's something about that. It's almost like you recapitulating. You know how y your life flashes in front of you before you die? So it's almost like I mean, a slow a version. But yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You know how it happens? Yeah. Uh, so it's like a slow version of that. Yeah. It's like you see this unfolding of, for somebody else and then you kind of look at it through that and then and then the, the quick thing happens. Yeah. Uh, but it's just that I feel like that is something that I would want. And then I, I thought, wait a second, but that's a very selfish reason to have a kid, right? That's not a reason to have a kid. But then I was like, no, I think that I've like I feel like I'm ripe to to impart something that I think is of value. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only ready 
that I was ever looking for. Sure. So it's like as long as I feel like I can actually, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like that always. I felt like for a long time I felt like no, I don't actually. I'm not. I don't really have a value that I think that I've distilled something that is of real value that mm-hmm. can, you know, can move on, on. safely. Yeah, yeah, that I feel like that that would actually make the world better. Um, uh, but now I feel like it's a little more than that. That's why I'm asking because it's interesting. Because we're probably how old are you now? Forty-two. Forty. Oh, that's really. Yeah. That, that's a perfect age. Forty-two yeah. follows me everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide, right there, right behind you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit more. I'm like three years behind you. Okay. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's definitely coming. Kind of In which direction, though? <laughs> well, I'm definitely getting younger, as you yeah. can see. The the gray on my beard yeah. tells you the thing. If this is oh fuck, this is this would be such a fun subject. We got to wrap up. Um. Well, let's see. Let's do like a flash round. Would, would you? Would you? What age would you want to go to if if and when we can flip like growing younger? Do I get to keep my like knowledge? Yeah, wisdom. Yeah. Oh, just uh, like just, just body. body. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Twenty-two. Oh, really? Yeah. I had, for some reason, I keep landing on twenty-seven. No, twenty-two. I was playing football. I was in the best shape of my life. I was. I was, out of... I was way too horny, man. Well, I mean, that comes with the body. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I had no control. Like you keep the wisdom, but, but I don't know wisdom, to what extent yeah. that would. Well, see, this is the real. This is, the, this the, is gonna be the real test if the wisdom yeah. actually can overpower that shit. Because we think we get wiser, yeah. we just get we just get slower. Yeah. Yeah. We just like we don't have the same drive. That's all. I think the genes will overpower yeah. that shit. Like there's no tomorrow. There's not gonna be a problem for it. Yeah. Where do you land? What age do you, do you think you would want to land on, Daniel? If you could grow younger. Somebody said nine. It was very bizarre. 27. See? See? Thank you. Yeah, yeah 27. Okay. You already kind of know what's up. Like, you yeah. start understanding. I feel like it's a body thing. Like, your body starts... I, you still have the drive, yeah. but less of the confusion. Sure. Okay. 22, I was like, well, maybe you're a different person, man. You you seem to be pretty measured. He was I, like... I just remember what my body felt like when I was playing football at UCLA versus what it feels like when I go on my jog this morning. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll take 22 any day. It's like... Oh. It's a just night and day difference. Yeah. It's like... Well, yeah. yeah. But that, that, is, that is a good point. Yeah. If I can get over the horny, maybe 22, 23 uh, would also be... Would be that for me yeah. as well. Twenty-seven. I already had like aches and pains. You know, but I mean? that's like, because of how much you abused yourself. Probably, but if yeah. you eliminate that out of the picture, so then we're kind of like changing the. No, the like if you're growing younger, that means your tissue is growing younger, right? Like, like ligamental, and, and yeah. I would assume that by that point you can actually like change some things pretty easily. Like you don't have to like you know you can print a body part that. So so. Just to clarify, we're doing... Perfect condition that age. Right, but is, are you taking the body from 22 or are we saying you can turn the clock back to 22? Both. Because they're like, that's a little slightly different. They are different, scenarios. but I'm talking yeah. about both. Because okay. it seems like uh, actually that guy that you also said you follow, Sinclair, David Sinclair, okay. the, the the guy who was talking about aging. Yeah. So he's the kind of like the one of the world leading experts, right? Yeah. He's the one that, uh, I don't know if he, the one that advertises... NMN more than uh, more than anyone, or he's just he actually came up with it. I don't know, but like, which by the way, I have a friend who's a. Have you heard of this? And NMN which? is it called? Yeah, I think it's NMN, not MNM. It's NMN. The rapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a supplement that you take, and apparently it's like it's one of those things that it seems to actually be doing this weird, actual slowing down of aging. Yeah. You got to take it every day, and like uh, he's one of the biggest proponents of it, but. If you haven't heard of it, you should look into it. I, I, it's just like uh, I was looking into it, and then it was like, okay, 
Now, we're about to go on like a world trip and it, it just looked a little bit too expensive. Yeah, it was like, yeah. uh, it's not that crazy though. Yeah. Um, but if you would, so he's saying that, you know, we eliminated about four of the reasons out of like six or seven, the, the main yeah. ones that we grow old. But the main one is going to be the gene thing, which right. he was talking about, right? Yeah. So if you can reverse, if you can isolate that gene and if you can reverse the function of that gene, yeah, you can just grow younger. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to imagine what would happen to current injuries. Like if you have a problem in your US ACL or something, I, even if it's going to get younger, I don't think it's going to fix itself. So you're going to have to replace that. So there's right. going to be some some like combination of those things. Right. But it, what I'm asking is perfect condition, that age. Because th- that also kind of answers a lot of the people's concern about like living for longer. Like they're like, I don't want to feel like 90 for 500 years. Yeah, exactly. No, you're yeah. going to be like, 27 but i don't want to be 22 and horny for 500 years <laughs> i couldn't fucking make like a one well-formulated decision at the day just simply because of that yeah. i think i would just like um pick a different career every 100 years gotcha. that would be a fun one yeah what, what, what do you feel like would you do that or you keep going like I, in the same field i would imagine i would just stick in the same field really yeah wow well, i can learn in the film industry in a thousand years man yeah. fuck um all right well i mean to be fair i can watch the same tv show over and over and over and over again i study it i learn i see new things so like for me the repetition is what i enjoy that's really interesting okay i would actually love to explore that next time we talk because i i'm very much the same way uh both like i actually don't watch anything anymore and it's not some kind of a political statement just like i just don't find myself doing that uh but movies that i really like i would rewatch them like this book that i was asking you about right i I think I consumed it like 20 different times. Wow. And it's like, just because I, I saw something there that really like, I was like, holy shit. Like this is like a manuscript for the 21st century, like yeah. straight up, like in all, in all respects. And I, every time I go through it, it's like, there's a, there's a new thing. But like, for example, Kelsey, my partner, she's like, she watches a movie and then she forgets who the characters were. She can't, she can't remember shit, which by the way, um, you asked me about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. That's the first film in her life. The first of all, she laughed, she cried. Wow. And she remembered every, like almost every moment of it. She was yeah. like, holy shit. That's a different level. That is a different level. Yeah. By the way, the security, the chubby security guard, uh, the one of the, in the fight scene in the beginning, no, yeah. I, he's a good friend. I, di- really? I, I didn't know he was in the movie. Oh, it was, awesome. a, a, I told you, a friend of ours called us like 40 minutes before. He's yeah. like, Come watch the most important movie of our time. And yeah. immediately I rolled my eyes. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus. And he goes, or I lost 50 bucks. I'm like, oh, you motherfucker. Okay, fine. So we go. And I'm so happy you did that. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about the film. And all of a sudden I seen him around. I was like, holy shit. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, Russell, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This brother. was such a pleasure. Likewise. And you, you're, you're such a great person to talk to in general. And also uh, you're always an inspiration as far as like oh. just, just determination being being there no matter what oh there you go see yeah. i feel even zena saying right uh and um and i'm very glad that we finally get to do this and i would love to do this again for sure and daniel seriously if you feel like joining i, I would gladly bring another mic and mic we can have like a seriously like this is gonna be so much fun We'll oh, have to, we'll have to get like one one topic though. Oh like, hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! And we're gonna we get, it's gonna be you know how how Joe Rogan does uh, uh, shows only about fights. Yeah, we're gonna do only about law, yeah. a subject you and I know nothing about or yeah. <laughs> little, and we're just gonna argue with an expert. This is gonna yeah. be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's the subtitle of the show. The, the, with Amber Heard? Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. Oh, <laughs> fuck yeah. Trouble. By the way, oh, fuck. We got to fucking probably wrap it up, right? Okay, but, bro, this is something I would love to talk about because maybe even a little bit off camera because a friend of mine is actually going through like a shitstorm right now. And it, it, it it, it's basically impossible to win a defamation case, right? Most, most, it's most cases. Very difficult to win defamation. Very difficult. Yeah. The yeah. Fact that, that Johnny Depp one is. Is like one in like. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so I would love to break that. Down. Yeah, because my friend is going through this, in, and in Canada, liberal Canada, where it's like impossible. A guy can't say anything. It's like the second a woman says something, and that's it. That's yeah. like God's word. So I would love to actually explore that. Um, Thank you so much for doing this, brother. Thank you. Uh, I had a, an absolute blast, and yeah. we'll do this again. So, yeah, actually, sure. before we leave, so I would love to do this again before. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we're in recording. <laughs>